燃え上がれガンダムAnd now it's time for Shard to come back home because we're going to talk about the film, the original and the first Gundam movie, Shard's Counterattack. Wow. Sean, I have to say it's very satisfying to me personally to be at this point. And it must be satisfying for you as someone who has been trying to get me to watch Gundam for years that uh-huh. I have. I feel like this was the first big hurdle for me in the world of Gundam was Gundam, Gundam Zeta, Double Zeta Gundam. And then Char's Counterattack, the original, as you say, saga, I think we might call it, you know? And yeah. uh, I'm through. I also watched all the OVAs along the way that are in the correct chronological point. And we're here at the, at the end of all things for at least two of our main characters. Uh, or is it? I don't know. It's got a very ambiguous ending. And we're going to dive into Oh, they're dead the- as shit. No, they're dead as shit. They're no, definitely know. dead. Yeah. It is okay. ambiguous, but they're definitely dead. Yes, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, yeah, just, I guess, should we start with just, I mean, obviously we're going to have spoilers. We already spoiled the biggest point in the movie, which is that Char and Amuro are dead as shit at the end. Um, but again, I don't know if that even counts as a spoiler, because they're, they, they, they're, yeah, they're, they fucking die. Yeah, uh, and it's, it's very good. Um, so we'll be talking about that. That'll be our main topic today. Spoilers from here on out. Should we start with just general reaction, Sean? I mean, yeah, so because I've obviously already I've seen it. So I, I watched it again last night. Um, and, and I feel like my opinion has probably come up on the podcast before. I love Shars Counterattack. I think it's a great movie. I think it now that I've seen it twice, I think it's a movie that holds up remarkably well on rewatching. Like it gets it, I like I really liked it the first time. My opinion of it is significantly better. Like I always thought it was a great movie. I think it's like one of my all time favorite animated films ever like it's so unbelievably good but i want to hear what you think about it jonathan well i'll say i'm excited to watch it again at some point um because it is a lot of movie it is uh-huh, 100 yes it is 125 minutes that basically just starts in the middle of the action you have your shochiku logo you come in you're in the middle of the action and then it is not over until the la- until it fades to black at the end of the credits like it is just it is on for 125 minutes. There is not a, even the tiniest glimpse of an ounce of fat on this movie. If anything, it could be longer. 
It is so unbelievably dense with ideas and character developments and denouements because this is both a big conclusion to the saga that we have been watching so far and I think a giant commentary meta discussion on that and on the the ethics of the world as it exists so far on the differing viewpoints of our two main characters in Amaro and Shar and I think it all builds to a point that is <clears throat> it's the anime equivalent of 2001 this movie has the an ending that I think is of similar power and and artistic um, might and grandeur as something like Kubrick's 2001. It is obviously influenced by that, so like you know, mm-hmm. um, it's in it's in the DNA. But I think it has that kind of like it, it reaches for a transcendent audiovisual experience that is also just the absolute perfect capper for these characters. And in the middle, you get. One of the best animated movies I've ever seen. Like, it is... Like, every Mobile Suit Gundam show up to this point has been, obviously, above average for television animation. Which means I was expecting a movie that would be above average for a movie based on a TV show. I was not expecting a movie as obviously giant-budgeted or lavishly produced or just impeccably animated as Char's Counterattack. It is so ludicrously well-directed. It, it it just feels like Gundam kind of unleashed. I think, you know, this movie was the right medium to cap this story on. Uh, there is so much to unpack here. And, uh, you know, we just recorded the Double Zeta episode. And I was very excited to talk about Double Zeta. But I have to say, Sean, as soon as it rolled credits on Char's Counterattack, I was like... I need to talk about Sean, to Sean about this fucking movie right fucking now because there's so much to unpack in this movie and I'm very excited to have that conversation. Yeah, because it is definitely it, it like it it doesn't feel like it has like tried to scale down Gundam much to fit into two hours, um, which whenever we get to Gundam F ninety one, which is the next movie they make, which they make basically right after Charge Counterattack, which is literally an entire TV show that got scaled down to a movie. Um, but this is, it is the sense of like, they just decided now, fuck it. Like we're going to, we're going to make this as Gundam as possible. It is not like, you know, we're not trying to like onboard new viewers really, you know, we're not trying to, to water down any of the ideas of Gundam that we've developed. Like we're not giving like, this is, this isn't like Gundam 101 for like an audience that maybe doesn't know much about the show. It's like, no, we are. We're we're going like deeper into the ideas of some like the key ideas of Gundam than we have ever gone before, and we're doing it all in basically a two hour movie, um, and and just like jam packing this thing with everything they could think of, um, and it is it has some of the best action that Gundam has ever had, and it has some of like the most interesting um kind of human drama scenes and kind of more like contemplative scenes in that middle section in the in the franchise as well, and it is definitely that middle section that has like. On my second viewing, I appreciate even more of delving into the nuances of Char's character in particular. Like, what is he doing? What has happened to him? Why is he doing what he's doing? Um, And all of those questions of, like, I feel like in many ways the movie is at its core about why is Char counterattacking? Like, and what does it mean for Char to, like, come back and attack? Like, what what is he trying to accomplish? Um, And that question I find so fascinating especially after all the discussions we've had on this podcast, which I think has helped make that movie experience richer for me because Char is like one of the all time great fictional characters that like we have ever created as a species. Uh, And this movie, like 
n- knows that and and wrings every last bit of satisfaction he can get out of this like really fascinating character full of kind of like seeming contradictions and complex um ideas and motivations yeah my my only regret sean is i think because i've also jumped ahead and seen the origin and everything i think i've seen everything shuichi ikeda has done as char in an anime that's not like sd gundam comedy stuff you're close there's there okay. there might be some surprises ahead of you i don't know well they're, they're, like you're mostly right there's maybe like i would say you're right that there's like an asterisk with like a footnote next to it okay and i don't know what that is so i'm excited to find yeah. out but i am i mean i have i have gotten to the point where he is dead as shit and uh-huh. he's gone and i just i sean are you surprised i got here this quickly <laughs> yeah honestly yes i mean part of it helped that we did it over the summer and so like you know, you've you have just gone back to um, the university yeah. recently, so you have had you you have like I imagine probably your pace will slow down a little bit at this point. Although who knows, I might be completely wrong about that. Maybe it'll just accelerate somehow. I, um, I can blow off lots of stuff, Sean. That's true. Yeah, because yeah, you like I was definitely more imagining that we would be at Shara's counterattack maybe sometime in like mid to late October, not the first day of September when we're recording this. Yeah. Feels good for me, though. Again, other than the fact that I have blown through all of uh, Char's life as depicted on animation. So that makes me a little sad. And I guess Amuro, too. But Amuro um, has had, like, ending points before, you know? Whereas yeah. Char is this character in constant evolution. up in, And I think in constant evolution basically until his dying breath. Um, until his, literally until his last line, which... Especially, like, this is one thing that I do think, like, watching the origin, which is obviously made with Char's counterattack, like, in mind. Like, they know where they eventually went with that character. I think makes that last line more consumable on first viewing of, like, the revelation about his relationship with Lala. Um, But, so I think, like, for you, that is probably, like, because I had not seen it, obviously, the origin when I watched Char's counterattack the first time. And I was, like, kind of slapped in the face by... Him being like, Lala soon, this woman who could have been a mother to me. I'm like, what the... F-? I was a thought, what the fuck are you talking about? But having that, um, both the conversations on this podcast where we can talk about Char and the origin that I think, like, finds the core of Char's character that that line is getting at and pulls it out and kind of dramatizes it more for us, um, I think it, like, helps make this movie a bit more digestible in a way that's very cool. That, like, makes the origin feel like even more of an essential piece of um, Gundam fiction. Yeah. Wow. Uh, all right, Sean, this is a lot of movie. Where yes. would you like to start? Having seen it two times, I will defer to you because you might have a better grasp on this giant fucking slice of cinema. Yeah, so I guess, like, first, like, let's just set up the the sort of, I guess, like, the structure and where we're, we're at. So the movie is set in um, UC0093, so it's several years after um, Double Zeta is over. We don't have really that many returning characters. Not like there could be, you know. We don't, there's no, like, Fraubo cameo. Camille and Judo are not in it. Judo's somewhere, like, in Jupiter or something at this point um, with Ruluka. They're happily safe somewhere else, which I'm happy to know. Like, they're okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so the movie is pretty laser-focused on um, Amaru and Char as our main returning characters. And then, obviously, Captain Bright is back as well. Like, he doesn't have a huge main role like he doesn't get a lot of stuff to do but he's like a good calming soothing presence he does get the 100 percent coolest captain's chair in the history of sci-fi because it goes up and down between two bridges that's what that's what captain fucking bright gets 
Yes, yeah, he he definitely was like he. I feel like he designed the the bridge of the Rakhal, like Rakhalem, uh personally to be like I want my cool, I want my chair to go up and down and do all this cool stuff. But yeah, so Captain Bright is there. Um, but the movie is sort of both about Char and Amro's rivalry coming to a head because Char has come back from wherever he's been since the end of Zeta Gundam um, and taken kind of risen up in some ways to his rightful place as the head of the remnants of Zeon. And so he's kind of assembled Neo-Zeon again after Haman Karn's defeat. Um, but then the movie is also about a pair of new characters that they introduce, which is Hathaway, Noah, um, Bright's son, his wayward son, who will eventually flash at some point in the future. Um, which I've not read those books and those movies are not out yet, so we'll find out what what happens with Hathaway in that stuff. But then also we have Quest um, Pariah, who is a young woman who sort of falls under Char's sway. The Char Char pulls a glimmy um, and grabs this, this this poor young lady and kind of twists her to his whims. And so it is both about our returning characters and then these two new characters that play out like a mini version of a Gundam show where like Hathaway is never a Gundam protagonist, but he's like the closest thing this show has to a new Gundam protagonist. And then quest is um, like very intentionally. And in many ways, the last Lala soon Um, other than like some references in AU Gundam in terms of like Tomino stuff, Tomino never really goes back to the Lala soon stuff. Um, And quest is kind of like the last, like echo of that character archetype that then that kind of cycle that he, the early Gundam stuff goes through. And so that like balance um, is the kind of structure of the movie, which is one of those things that I feel like sometimes catches people off guard when they watch it, where I think most people are expecting this movie to be 100%. This is Amro and Char settling the rivalry and Char's counterattacking and Amro's got to stop him. Um, and that is the, the main plot of the movie for a lot of it, but like, the Quest and Hathaway stuff is also a significant part of the movie that makes up probably about a, a, a solid like third of what the movie's runtime is. And then like a lot of what the movie's thematic uh, concerns really rely on Char's manipulations of Quest and Hathaway's sort of struggle with the, the you know, in a very gun protagonist way, struggle with the tragedies of war that have arrived at his doorstep. I think we should also talk about here... Uh, something we did not talk about on the Double Zeta episode, and I specifically didn't bring it up because I kind of wanted to save it for here, Sean, which is that Shar and Amuro are not in Double Zeta, and that that was a very yeah. deliberate creative choice to say we're not going to see these characters again. So the last time we saw them, Amuro um, was helping out on Earth. He was with the with Hayato's group, basically. Yeah. Um, and we hear in Double Zeta that he has gone back to space. They do say that at some point in Double Zeta. So Amuro is off Earth at the end of Double Zeta. And Char, we we last saw him left for dead in the wreckage of the Hyakushiki in Zeta. And we have no idea what happened to him. There is a reference to him in the final episode of Double Zeta where Sela and Bright both believe he must be alive out there somewhere. And they're wondering what he's up to. Um my personal prediction being that he probably was horribly maimed in that fucking final episode of Zeta, and he is probably still in a hospital at the end of Double Zeta or something. <laughs> because Double Zeta doesn't take place over that long a time period. Um, yeah. But yes, I mean, what, what do you think about the decision to ignore those characters, leave them off screen for Double Zeta, and save them for the movie, and how that tees them up for where they come back in this film? I mean, one thing is that it's, like, nice to have a lot of distance from them so that when you come back to them, it feels like we're coming back to them, right? Yes, And so especially absolutely. with 
especially with Char, where like it's pretty well known that the original plans for Double Zeta were to have Char be involved with it significantly. Like I think that, like an early idea was to have him be the protagonist of Double Zeta, then he would be like some sort of villainous figure, and then they got the green light to do Char's counterattack, which came out a year basically after Double Zeta ended. Um, and so when they got the green light that they were going to make the movie, which would have been um, in production at the same time as Double Zeta, uh, then they decided to save Char for the movie, which I think was the right choice because that allows Double Zeta to breathe on its own. And Double Zeta, in many ways, like, like in many ways, you don't actually need to watch Char's counterattack in a like thematic sense because I do feel like Double Zeta delivers like the sort of thematic conclusion of that story. Um, but Char's counterattack gets to then serve as like this final rumination on these exact themes with these characters. And it's like really about like Amaro and his people like having to like choosing to defend the successes that the new generation led by Judo had won in Double Zeta and say like, no, we need to fight for the progress that we've made, not abandon it all in the fire to try to like reset things, which is kind of what Char wants to do. Um, and so that like, I think... Yeah, I think in the double Zeta uh, discussion, you described it as a capper, which I like. I think is a good way to think about it. That it's like Shars Counterattack that in some ways doesn't do a lot of new ground thematically, but it puts a cap on all the things that we have already discussed and sort of like finishes it off um, and sends like our favorite new characters and then kind of gives them their swan song and we see them off into the burning atmosphere of Earth where they horribly die. It is the most action-packed epilogue of all time. Is basically mm-hmm. how I would describe it because Shar's yeah. counterattack, it is in constant movement for all 125 minutes. There is not one down moment. It there are moments without mobile suit action, but like it is constantly in motion in one way or another, whether that's dramatically or through visual kinetic action. Um, and yeah, I do think it serves that kind of epilogue purpose because one of the things I think Gundam is really smart about is that the main character of Gundam is the world. It's no individual person. It is a big social story about a a world in crisis and transition. And Double Zeta does, in a lot of ways, bring a close to one thrust of that story, which is like the the war with Zeon and all of the multi-year fallout of that, you know? And then I think Char's counterattack has some of that in it, but, you know, overall... This is a fairly small insurrection that is dealt with in the course of two hours. It is not as, as... big a crisis in a lot of ways as like the stuff that the titans or haman karn did um and it is a cap to specific characters who had loose threads hanging but also i think to the the big thematic conversations and questions that their presence raises that had not yet been answered um and i think that's why it is so important and why it feels like you know coda might be the best word for what it is yeah absolutely and it is it is so fascinating movie in that sense because also it like it is a movie that chooses to ultimately be like to be ambiguous and to not necessarily say that like like in this movie i don't think that char is in the right but he's also not completely in the wrong and the same thing with amuro that it's like amuro is not perfect you know like in in ultimately like i don't probably want the earth to die but also a lot of people on the earth real really suck and Char has a point and I think it's hard to have watched all these shows and not see exactly where Char is coming from and what he's trying to achieve um and that's one of the things I love about this movie is that it just chooses not to sort of give us a very like plain good evil kind of conflict it is more interested in 
this is like a very these are very messy ideas about like the direction where humanity should go in and two very different methods of trying to achieve it both of which have positives and negatives and the movie's not necessarily making a strong judgment for you on which way you should go because like in like in particularly in the year of our lord 2019 Char's methodology seems very, very appealing in a lot of ways. Um, it's like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, maybe crashing a giant meteor to Earth and just like letting a lot of it burn. There, 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 like, there's something appealing, and there are certain advantages to that approach that are impossible to deny. Well, then let's just dive into it and let's yeah. talk about the philosophical debate at the heart of this movie, and we can bring in other things as they come up. But there's something very bold that they do here, where the last time we saw Shara's novel. Casfall Rem Daikun, Edward Mass, Quattro Bagina, whatever name you want to call him, they're all great. Yeah. He was, as we said, left for dead in a Hyakushiki. Everyone, you know, he is effectively dead through double Zeta because no one knows what's happened to him. Um, and in Zeta Gundam, he was a hero. And unambiguously, he was one of the heroes of that show. He is on the side yeah. of the good guys, he is saving people, he does a lot of good things. He is positioned as one of the primary protagonists of that show. We come back in Char's counterattack, and he is now in a radically different place. And I know just, you've probably looked into this more, but just a casual glance around the internet, there is controversy over his characterization in Char's counterattack, because yeah. it's a big swing, and the A to B from Zeta to Char's counterattack, they do not sketch in for us. It's a lot left to your imagination. For me, I will say, it made 100% sense. And I think I have to restate a little bit of what I said at the end of the Zeta episode when, when we did that a couple weeks ago, which is that, you know, Shara's novel in Zeta Gundam is a guy who is deeply conflicted about whether or not to be a man of action. Because when Shar is a man of action, he does crazy things like, you know, in the origin, helping to kick off the one-year war by doing a student protest at his military school, basically just to fuck with Garmazabi, and it goes way too far. He is the guy who wages this giant revenge campaign that is ultimately not good for that much. He does not fully trust himself to be a man of action, and in Zeta, he is at constant internal war with himself over whether he should be a good foot soldier, unambiguously doing good things for the world. He is helping people, he is saving people, he is trying to guide the Earth in a good or the humanity in a good direction. And what does that get him? You know, like that's kind of, I think, where he's at at the end of that show, which is he never kicks into being the full man of action he could or should have been and maybe could have helped this whole conflict much earlier if he had just taken the reins of Neo Zeon and, and led it in a more popular direction. Because as we see in Char's Counterattack, the people love him. He would have yeah. been a popular leader. He could have done a lot of great things. He never did it. He left a vacuum that Haman Karn came in and filled. There was this whole, you know, there's this whole conflict with the Titans, which is not directly his fault, but he could have done more to stop it. And in the end, he's in this massive four-way fight where he is defeated soundly by Haman Karn, all of his compatriots that he fought with. And I do think in his weird, you know, kind of twisted heart, learned to love, uh, are all dead or in the case of Camille, brain dead. And he is out there floating in space. They won this war, but winning the war ultimately empowered his enemy, Haman Karn, who is his own greatest failure in a lot of ways. And now everything is fucked again. And continually and continually, there is this cycle of people on Earth being obstinate and corrupt and awful and humans' biggest failing being consistently their ties to this planet that they cannot help but destroy and wage war over. And he is left there seething in space and I 100% buy that that man would probably go convalesce for a while because I do believe he was probably horribly maimed. 
in that giant explosion. Yeah, the Yakushiki was pretty fucked up at the end of Zeta. Yes. So he goes and convalesces, and while he's convalescing, I think he probably concludes, and not necessarily wrongly, that to just keep doing this cycle over and over again of somebody fights for the Earth, and the Earth is corrupt, and people go to the Earth, and they take it over, and they are possessive over it, and they destroy the planet, and they do these horrible things to it. Meanwhile, out there in space, there are people like Amuro Ray and Camille Bidon and all these people he's met, including the best parts of himself, who have become better by you know, by uh, striking off the shackles of gravity and going into space. And that was the dream of his father, and he could try to realize that. And you know what? These wars are pointless, and they're horrible, and they're bad. And if I just drive a giant fucking asteroid into Earth and make it uninhabitable, everybody will come to space. That will be taken off the table, and maybe, maybe there can be a better future, because the alternative is that there will be war after war after war, and maybe I could stop it. There is a part of me, Sean, that watches Char's counterattack and is 100% behind him based on the logic this show has given us so far. Yeah, and it's it's uh, like it's about like how radical you're willing to go, you know? And, and in many ways like Char and Amro represent like Char represents like a revolutionary approach and Amro represents like a reformation type approach where Char is about like even if it's going to cause significant sacrifice um like and you know who's going to be the one to sacrifice is an important question that Shar doesn't seem to really consider um but people are going to, like there's going to be a lot of sacrifice but we will get significant change out of it one way or the other like things are going to be different if Shar succeeds versus Amuro advocates more the like we should stay within the system and work within the system to try to make things better we shouldn't give up the progress we shouldn't risk all the progress we've made in a big bold move to try to make a big leap of change we should keep on the path we're going because things are going to get better if we do it um and both of those perspectives are valid in the real world and they're both valid in the world of gundam and they're like things that like i don't know about you jonathan but like i personally struggle with both of those of yes like, absolutely yeah especially right now of like how extreme should we go like we have extreme problems and stuff like global warming and, you know, like horrendous apocalyptic for humanity, climate change are at our doorstep. Like, what do you do to solve that? And like what sacrifices would be acceptable? Um, and like what kind of actions could be made to try to fix those problems? And do you know, could you could you anticipate the consequences of those actions enough to be confident that they would ultimately be for the greater good? Um, and that like that to me is the the heart of the struggle um, at Char's counterattack, and then in generally, like it's something that like a, one of the themes that Tomino comes back to multiple times. I will say that this like Char's idea of let's just destroy the Earth um, to, as you say, like kind of take that off the table and force people to go to space, like force us to reconsider all this. Um, that is also basically what the villains are trying to do in Victory Gundam. To the point where they are just like letting off nukes on Earth and they're just leveling entire cities, just trying to destroy the Earth as much as possible. Um, so it's an idea that, that Tomino revisits in his next major Gundam show. And, and so that kind of idea of um, this almost like accelerationist idea of if we just push this like tragedy enough, like if we just like force that issue really hard, that will then cause people to try to react against it. And it's like a current political philosophy that some people have is if we accelerate the mechanisms of capitalism, the capitalism ultimately will consume itself. So if we accelerate those 
capitalism will consume itself sooner, which then we can build out from its ashes, um, which is not, I'm not really advocating for accelerationism. I think there are a lot of gaps in that political philosophy. But it's one thing that's interesting about Tomino's stuff from this period feels like it's anticipating a political philosophy that wouldn't really be articulated for like 10 to 15 years past when these shows and movies came out. Um, but like to me, that's that's one of the core, like in terms of the political um, themes of Shard's Counterattack, like that's really the dichotomy that we're looking at. Yeah. And I think Shar, how that is embodied in the character of Shar is so compelling in this movie. Yeah. Because I think the Shar that we see here is his true nth degree personhood. Like, this is who he is at his, like, maximum, you know? And, like, yeah. it's represented visually in the show from the Shar who is under layers of, you know, regalia and the mask in the original show to the Shar who is always wearing aviator sunglasses in Zeta and is very uncomfortable with being out in the spotlight to a Shar who I think he wears sunglasses in, like, one scene in this movie, but he most does. of the time... Yeah. You see his eyes, big bright blue eyes. He is he's in regalia, but it is not quite as loud as his original Zeon regalia. And he is in a leadership capacity, and he is just Shar. He is whatever he is out there to the world. But he still had like he is not Haman Karn. He is not out for power for the sake of power. And he is not, I don't sense any of this is to become a leader and dictator. And like, none of this is because he wants yeah. to just rule over people. Um, in fact, you know, there's some really good scenes of his internal life in this movie, particularly with um, his, his girlfriend in this movie. What's, do you remember her name? Uh, Nanai. Yeah. And, and talking to her. And there's a great fucking line at one point where he is making the deal with the Earth Federation to get access back. And he's looking out the window and he's drinking and he says, Amaro, I'm doing something so wicked. And it's uh -huh. like a perfect Char line. But it's also like he's very aware. And he says this, that like, you know, what I'm doing is horrible. A lot of people will die. But I am willing to take on all the evil of humanity to hopefully move us forward past it. And there is a very twisted dimension to that logic. But I also think because of the three shows we have seen beforehand including Double Zeta, which he is not in, but I think is really important for understanding the themes of this movie, like, that suffering's gonna happen one way or another, right? I mean, that's yeah. what's happening in this universe, and are you going to try to find a way to maybe change the, the paradigm, or just keep fighting through the suffering until hopefully something better arises out of it? And I think it does make perfect sense that Char is novel with the background he has, with the person he is, and ultimately with the demons he has in his heart would arrive at this place of doing something resolutely horrific, but also um, with a certain logic and with people behind him. Like there's, there's that scene that I think is really key in this movie where Char gets on the public transit on Sweetwater, the yeah. colony, and everybody is so happy to see him. And they, they sing the like Zeon song together and it's a love that no other leader in Gundam has ever had. We've never seen anyone approach this level of love. Haman is like a cult leader, and that's a certain kind of love, but it's very twisted. I don't think Shar tricked anybody. He didn't, like, use new type powers on anybody. I think they were happy to have a... Because this Sweetwater, is, it's a crucial. This is not just Zeon people. This is a big group of refugees that the Federation abandoned in space, and Shar took up the mantle for them and said, this is what we're going to do to try to fix this situation. And I think a lot of people believe in it deeply, and, and he has become the leader people wanted him to be. And I think the flip side of that also is that you have Bright and Amuro in this movie who throughout Zeta 
were encouraging Shar to become this person. And I think the Shar who ultimately took on the name of Casval Rem Daikun and put on the regalia and became the leader was always going to go to an extreme place like this. There is no Shar who does half measures. Like, like Bright and Amaro, this is kind of a be careful what you wished for because this is what you wanted him to be in a weird way, right? Yeah. And, and I think one thing that's really interesting about the movie is you have a number of different characters like Quest, Nanai, um, Amaro and Bright, um, the the um, one cyber new type dude that's with them whose name escapes me at the moment, um, but like the uh, like most of the Neo Zeon characters and then our main characters with the Federation, uh, Junai that's his name. Um, they have multiple conversations about like what is Shard doing, why is he doing it, um, and and there's because there's both the like political ideology of what he's like trying to express and fight for. Um, there's but then there's also like the history that Shar has, specifically his history with Amro, his history with Lala, his history with, like, just, like, people, like, his history of just relationships with other human beings that, like, you know, the people like Gunai and Nanai know about um, that, like, are clearly also significant motivators. And, like, his relationship, his rivalry with Amro feels like he has been brooding on some of that for this whole time, right? Like, like, he, like the ghost of Lala is still out there in space. Like, we see Amro has a recurring sort of like nightmare about Lala. Presumably, Shar probably has one as well with how he kind of is dwelling on this. And I and you know he also always has that scar on his forehead. He has had that scar on his forehead since the last episode of Mobile Suit Gundam. Like he 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 lost to Amro, and a man as egotistical as Shar is in his core, um, a man who takes like Shar takes a certain pride in being the Red Comet. Um, even if he doesn't show it, you know that he has it. Um, and like that, I don't think like that loss has ever like actually sat that well with him. And so there's always this like how much of his motivations are the like grandstanding political things that he expresses. Um, and like, is that like him like being Castle Rim Daikun and, and leading the people and being out there without a mask? Is that his real self or is that like the, the thickest mask he has ever worn and that really everything is just way more personal. That really, he's just upset. He's frustrated. Um, and he wants to get even. Like, he wants, he wants like, his dues, right? He wants to, to resolve this thing that's been hanging with Amro the entire time. He wants to resolve this thing with Lala. He wants to put all of this to rest. And this is how he's going to just, like, push everything to the greatest extreme. Um, and that, like... And that, again, that's a question that the movie never resolves because the answer is obviously like elements of both like he probably believes a lot of like the big political stuff that he's advocating for but he's also clearly clearly troubled by every by like his past in in what has gone unresolved and that you know he sent Amro that fucking psycho frame to help make the new Gundam even better because that's the guy that Shar is like he wanted to settle this one-on-one with Amro at the end of all things like that's how he really wanted it to go down um, he, he needed that kind of confrontation. He needed that kind of validation. And so for all the political grandstanding he, he gives, Char is still a human. And he's still like, at the end of the day, he has all these kinds of personal motivations that push him as well. Absolutely. You know, I said on the second episode of Weekly Suit Gundam, which is where we talked about the Garmazabi episodes. Yes. And one of the first things I think I said in that episode is... Oh my god, Sean, Shar is such a petty bitch. 
<laughs> and he yeah. is. He's a petty little bitch to Garmazavi and to a lot of other people. And I think part of the brilliance of Shar's counterattack is that every facet of the man who is Shar, who is so complicated and so contradictory, as you and I have argued, the 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 most pivotal line of dialogue Shar ever has is I have never even once betrayed anyone, Haman Karn, which is 100% a lie and also 100% true and that speaks to how contradictory he is and I think the Shara's novel on display in Shara's counterattack is every bit as contradictory and all of that is in the stew together I mean just down to the fact that I'm not sure what name he's actually going by in this movie mm-hmm. I think he is known as Casfall to the people because there are hints about that but I think it's purposefully ambiguous because I don't think he fucking knows what name to claim because he has no one set identity. That's part of the point of him, ha- him having four significant names over the course of the continuity because he is all of these different people. And I think part of what is so brilliant about Char's Counterattack, the movie, is that it is implicitly at times and explicitly at other times challenging the viewer on who they thought this guy was, who you wanted him to be, and who he actually is. And I think it is a absolute masterstroke of characterization in that way because I think this movie is pretty directly challenging sort of fan desires for who a character could be versus who the character actually needs to be because Shar Osnabel they could have gone on the journey where he started as the villain seeking revenge he found something greater he joins the AUG he he learns to become the leader he makes the speech into car he takes over the AEUG and then he takes over Zeon and and uh, helps establish and, and resolve everything and he overcomes his demons and that would be kind of fun to see in the sense that I think there's a part of every fan's heart who would like to live in the alternate universe where Shar became the hero but it wouldn't feel right would it Sean No yeah because Because all throughout Zeta Gundam, like, there's always this sense of, like, Char, like, should, like, I think Char is both afraid of what he could do if he has access to the kind of power he would have if he fully, like, leaned into the politics stuff. Um, But it's also, like, Char, I think Char knows this, but it's, like, he's not a noble person, really. Like, he has elements of, like, you know, he, he, I think he sometimes, like, he wants to be able to settle things in a fair way with Amaro. Like, I think he does care about people in some ways. He just tried to help people in many ways. Um, but, like, he, he just, I think at his, I think at his core, what Char wants is he just wants to be able to live in a world where he can just, like, fly around his mobile suit and be a, like, soldier and just fight and not have to think about, the rest of it like he would like he i think he wants to be shara's novel like i think that yes. he just wants to be that guy and like the the moment in shara's counterattack where i feel like Shar is able to just be his truest self is well all, all the stuff at the end with like his conversation with amuro i think the mask is completely down but there's this really interesting moment where when he he's on the Sweetwater colony and amuro is there as well and that's it's right after he has that line that where he thinks to himself like amuro I'm doing something truly wicked here. Um, like if you can, if you are here and if you can feel me, come find me. And then you cut to Amro driving around on his jeep, and then Amro or then Shar comes out of the woods riding a horse with sunglasses on, and Amro and he then he kind of shouts at Amro, and Amro chases him down in the jeep. It's just like a fucking amazing scene of like it's like the really violent 
confrontation version of the first time they ever met each other in person on a colony in cars um only this time Shara's on a horse because that's because this is who Shara's novel is this is not who the guy leading neo neo zeon is this is the dude who decided that quattro bagina would be a cool name to have and cut the sleeves off his fucking vest um and amro chases him down and they get into a, just a big fist fight and shouting at each other um and i think it's really I think it is a very intentional key detail that Shar is wearing sunglasses in that scene because yes. because that's that's the man we know. That's the man who has discarded his past, as he tells Sela in the original Gundam. The, the reason he wears his mask is he's a man who's thrown his past away. He, he's not Castle Rim Daikun anymore, so he wears the mask so that nobody can see who he once was. And now he has used that face, his real face, as like as like a mask to use as a weapon to manipulate people and control people because that's what his past now is to him and to me that's like where Shar has gone too far is he's like abandoned the last thing he had like the last refuge he can go to um he has cast he is like cast aside any ability to become Castle Rim Daikun again because he has weaponized that identity um to radicalize Neo Zeon towards destroying the earth um and like and that's where He's he is lost. He's gone too far. And and where Shar does like several things in this movie that are like you know obviously trying to murder like billions of people on Earth. That's a very that's like the most despicable thing a person could do. Um, like I don't care like what the political situation is. I don't think there is a political situation that justifies the murder of billions of people. It's way too big. Way too much. No bad Shar. Don't do it. Um, but in, in like the more emotional direct ways. He does several things in this movie, particularly his relationship with the Quest. I think also his relationship with Nanai that make him feel like a Glimmy or Patmos Shiroko in the ways that he is now like just like grossly manipulating people that have done nothing to him to twist them to his means, which is something that Shar has never gone to before. But I think he has pushed himself so far into a corner that like he doesn't care and he will he will just like grossly use people um, in a way that he only did when he felt like he was he had a right to like with someone like Garma he clearly did that with but that's fucking Garma Zabi you know the rich pretty boy that Shar wants dead this is just some random girl who's a new type that he just picks up on this colony and immediately manipulates her into I mean killing her own father like abandoning everything that she had access to um knowing that he can that he cannot and is not willing to give her the things that she actually wants and that Shar has been like that's the Shar that has become a villain. That's the Shar that, like, he has gone so far that there's no real turning back at that point once he starts doing that shit. Shar Osnabel, or Casval, or whatever you want to call him, yeah. is a broken man. And mm -hmm. I think we as fans want him to be whole. But he's not whole. He's very, very broken. He is shattered. And... I think Amuro plays a really interesting role in this movie. And I had to think on it for a while because Amuro, I guess nominally is the protagonist of this movie. I'm actually not sure who you would label the protagonist. I think that's yeah. a really complicated discussion. But he's interesting because Amuro, I would not say, has an arc in this film. He's a fairly static character. And he's obviously less prominent in the film than I would say Shar is. Shuichi Ikeda has the most dialogue by far in this film. Um, yeah, Absolutely. You know, Hathaway and Quest feel like more active characters. Amuro is playing a role we have seen him play before. But I think who Amuro is in this movie, in many ways, is he's the audience surrogate. When Amuro is running down Char on that colony and asking him, 
Why are you doing this? What the hell is wrong with you? This is not who you were supposed to be. I think he is in part that part of the fandom or of individual fans who wants Char to be better, who wants him to be Quattro Bagina, who wants him to be that guy who could have been the hero and wants him to be whole and human and and not have these these horrible parts about himself. But that's not who he is. And I do think deep down, Char knows how broken he is. And he knows that when he puts on the sunglasses and he puts on the mask and he, he gets on the fucking horse or he gets in the mobile suit and he does the big fight and he gives the psycho frame so he can have a big fun fight with Amuro... That's where he feels whole because he is the master of chaos. And he's really good at that. You know, I think the most pure joy Shara's novel maybe ever experienced is at the end of that episode of The Origin where he is in, he's at the Battle of Loom and he's in his big Zaku 2 and he is flying around being the Red Comet, sinking ships left and right and being the hero. And that is kind of him in the chaos being the master of it all. And otherwise, I think he's very uncomfortable in his own skin. And I think that's something that Char's counterattack gets to in a pretty profound way, in part by having Amuro ask the question that's on all of our minds, which is, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, and having Char be, like, in every single scene when he's not in a mobile suit, and he's just, like, he doesn't have the mask on or anything, and he's wearing, like, the cape and all, like, he looks so uncomfortable. Like, he, yep. he looks so, like, he does not want to be there. I mean, because we know that he's... He like though he says multiple times a day to Gundam. The last thing he wants to be is a fucking politician. Um, even if that's clearly the thing that he would be best at, because as soon as he does it, he fucking like look at all the shit he accomplishes in this goddamn movie because he he is that guy. Um, but he's so just stiff and like just. You know, the, like my my Charis novel, my Quattro Bagina is the dude with the ripped arms and the ripped out sleeves and the sunglasses. He just has his arms folded, leaning up against like a wall in the Argama, having like a chat with Camille. You know, like the, like he's relaxed and confident and cool and poised. And in this, it of like every time he's in that fucking like monkey suit, he's so um, stiff and 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 just very formal in a way that is not natural to him in a way that you can see why other people are fooled but since we know him so well um and it's a part of the it's how he's animated it's also how ikeda plays him in those moments it feels so like a put on um in a way that like again is way more so than when he was literally wearing masks and literally using like false names and and like betraying people left and right whatever he tells you like laughing in garma's face like there he felt so natural and calm and cool and like who he was here when he has the mask off and he's wearing the suit, he just feels like a different person um, in those scenes. Char becomes less comfortable in his own skin the more of it he shows to the world, you know? Yep. Like the Char who we meet in episode one of Gundam in his big ship with all his regalia, with his cool mask, with his awesome fucking red mobile suit. That dude is comfortable as a cucumber. He is, he is cool as a cucumber. He's totally fine. He is comfortable in his own skin. At this point, when he is his own face to the world, giving big speeches and doing politics, he fucking hates that. And of course, what part of the tragedy of that is, he is so good at it in this movie, and he accomplishes so much. I can imagine a world in which he didn't have to drop a giant meteor on Earth to maybe do some of this. Like, what if he made political demands about building more colonies, and Zeon would pitch in, and we'd get more people off of Earth, and we would try to, like, give Earth a rest through, like, we would agree to give Earth a rest, not I will cause a nuclear winter and kick you all off the planet or kill you. You know what I mean? But that's 
he's the master of chaos. He doesn't want to sit in a boardroom and figure that out. Yeah, and if he did that, he would never get his confrontation with Amuro. Like yeah. he, he needs to put things to push things to an extreme so that he can settle things once for all. Because also, like I, this is never, never something that's explicitly stated in the movie, but it feels to me like Char was not really planning on surviving this entire thing. No. Like I think he he wanted to just destroy the society that existed on Earth, die in the process, and like be like that's he goes out in a blaze of glory and. Like, I think he does earnestly believe that the next generation will build something better from the ashes. I, I don't think that Gundam necessarily believes that that's true based on um, where Tomino goes in the future. Um, but, like, I think that Char thinks that that is what would happen in the ashes is that they would build a better system, whether or not he's there to guide them to do it or not. Because um, I think he just wants to have his big fucking ridiculous mobile suit fight in the coolest way possible. Um, shoot a bunch of bazookas at Amuro and then and then hopefully beat Amuro and then die afterwards. I think is was the ideal outcome for Shara's novel. Yeah, die in the place he was happiest in the world, which is behind uh, the the cockpit of a really cool red mobile suit in space. Right? Yes, exactly. A red mobile suit that then also gets like a gold trim and emblem. So he gets gets a little bit of Kakashiki in there. He gets a little bit of like his old like Zeon regalia design. Um, it feels like he probably micromanaged the whole Sazabi construction process. He's like, I yes. really, okay, make sure that I want to be mostly red, have a little bit of gold on there, put my little emblem on there, and it also needs a horn. And the rest of it, I don't really care. But as long as you've got all of those, I'm good. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I agree. I don't think he plans to survive this. And I think Ikeda, who we can never humanly praise enough. Yeah. I think he plays that. I think that is very much part of the performance, particularly in the moments when he is like at at his dwelling place, like in the living room with the glass of wine, whatever, talking to the girlfriend or to Quest or to whoever else. And it's just there's a sadness and a resignation to it of like he's on a path that like he knows this is the end. He knows this is the end in the way we as the viewers in 2019 know it's the end because this is the last piece of Char media chronologically, right? Yeah. Um, And maybe the other characters don't, but he sure as shit knows it's the end. Um, Good God. What what an amazing work of characterization. A couple of major scenes to talk about with this. We talked about the scene with him on the train and all the civilians, but the big speech he gives that is kind of the centerpiece of of the middle of the movie... Which is like his version of, you know, we've seen other Gundam villains give the big speeches. We've seen Giran Zabi do it. We have seen Basque Ohm do it. We have seen uh, um, um, Haman Karn do it. I almost said Minova Zabi for a second. I'm like, that would be funny if we saw Minova do it. But no, poor Minova never had to give a giant speech. Um, Shars is, as it should be, different and similar. There are echoes of those. But it is also its own compelling thing, and I found that scene really, really interesting and, and again, full of all these Char contradictions, you know? Yeah, it's also, that scene is a good example of where this movie is very, very good at baking in little bits of, like, exposition for people who haven't seen Gundam stuff in a while. Where it's like, he gives this, like, very smooth recap of, like, first there was the Zabi family, and they, you know, rose up, and they fought for independence, and they assassinated my father, and they were defeated. And I love, he's like, they were defeated, and that's all well and good. And it's like, in your heart, like, like, you know that he's thinking about, and I blew a fucking Cassilia's goddamn head off with a motherfucking (laughs) bazooka, and I laughed in Garma's face as I betrayed him, and he went down in a blaze of glory. 
this like but then but then what he says is and that's all well and good um and then and then the federation gave rise to fascism and the titans and and we defeated them and then haman karn came and rallied the zeon together and she was defeated and and but and then now like the earth federation government is um not helping the these the survivors of these wars and and like he goes on and on and yeah that sort of like little bit of exposition he gives which both contextualizes the way that Char um sees those conflicts and how he's like packaging those conflicts inside of like his role in them a little bit for his speech but then also the way he's pitching um sort of his like populist message to everybody i also love that scene because of like you know i mean this movie is full of like really incredible direction choices i love that one in particular because the like whole first half of that speech is you're in the ship but the ship is sideways because they're in space. And so everything is like on the right side of the wall. And like Char's like big hologram is projected through the middle of the frame, um, like sideways. And it's, you know, it's like using space to do the most ridiculous version of a Dutch angle you could possibly do. It's like, it's literally just t- tilted fucking completely 90 degrees. Um, but because they're in space, it totally works. And it is, it's just, again, like this whole movie feels like, Tomino, who is a very skilled visual director who has been like you know behind the scenes like directing lots and lots of episodes of the first three tv shows um being able to stretch his legs as a director both in terms of budget and time for this movie being able to like do more deliberate interesting kind of shot compositions um and that was one of those that's that's one of my personal favorites absolutely um and I think it's an interesting scene to compare to the other big like fascistic speeches we've seen in that Char, like, he's not Giren Zabi. He is not preaching for a master race. He is not preaching for raw power. He has a, it's definitely a crafted argument, and it is not all entirely true, certainly given his own role in things. Um, but it is an argument that bears, I think, some very, very real weight, as we've already talked about in the world of Gundam. Um, but of course it is to a big military audience and it is ultimately to justify the slaughter of billions of people and you know it's it's one of those moments where you really have to start wrestling with the Shar who actually exists versus maybe the person you've wanted him to be you know and and I think it's a it's a really powerful scene for those reasons seeing him in the full regalia with the mask completely off but as you say another mask has been put on it's just invisible you know um it's the mask of the personality he's crafted uh it's it's and and as you say also just stupendously well directed as every scene in this movie is this really feels like tomino cracked his knuckles and got down to work on this whole movie you know because he just went he went fucking crazy with every shot of this thing um but yeah really key scene and then I think we'll double back to some of the quest stuff when we talk about quests and all of this. I do yeah. want to talk about Amaro and his relationship with Amaro and, you know, the ending, the, the big final confrontation, um, because there's so much to unpack there. One dynamic I find really interesting in this movie is that in, in every instance where he meets Amaro in the film, he calls Amaro on his shit in a way that I actually think resonates pretty hard, which is that he says, yeah. like, you know, say whatever you want about me, Amaro. But I'm doing something. You're just a soldier. I think that's the exact line he says. It's like, you're just being a soldier. You could be so much more. And I think there's this weird disappointment in an in Amuro in that I think Char absolutely respects this guy a whole lot. You don't want to fight someone this hard if you do not respect them. He is also, as we said, a petty bitch who is really mad that Amuro defeated him once and that he has this scar. 
But I do think he has this respect for Amuro. We saw that in Zeta Gundam. It's very apparent. And I think part of that is I think he expected Amuro to to do what Amuro said he should do, which is become a leader and like put a vision of the world out there and do something with those new type powers. And Amuro never did that in all of Gundam. Amuro never became someone who actually went out and pushed for a positive vision of a forward-moving society. Amuro fought against the forces that were trying to destroy that society, which is a good thing. And it's a good thing here because Amuro saves an awful lot of lives in Shara's counterattack. But Amuro never used those powers to take the next step and make some kind of political argument. And I think just as Amuro voices some audience frustration with Shar, I think Shar voices some audience frustration with Amuro. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. Because again, like it's the you know this movie is not interested in giving like clear cut good guy bad guy kind of definition, which is one of the reasons why. Um, defining protagonist for this movie is definitely not an easy thing to do at all. Um, because, yeah, because Amuro... Like, um, like Amuro and Char are obviously, like, you know, eternal rivals, like, fascinating contrasts with one another. And their contrast is, like, the most interesting and the most stark in this movie, for sure. Because Char... Like, you know, Char is the one who went on to, like, now become a politician to push for this larger structural change to try to fix the problems that they had been fighting over in, you know, the all the, the shows up to this point. Um, and Amuro has not done any of that. In Amuro's defense, though, like, I don't think Amuro could. Like, I, like, I don't think that that's who Amuro is. Like, I literally do not, I, like, legitimately do not think that Amuro as a character is that person like I did, yeah. like just because he's a new type doesn't mean that he can sway people to his side like i don't think amro's not charismatic he's not super persuasive like he's grown up a lot and like i really like amro in this movie because of how like he does feel like he's matured a lot he's like cool he's got a cool jacket um he's got his like his hair is a little bit more under control like it kind of like he feels he's like got he's a really cool blue-haired girlfriend yes yeah he's got chained he's the, definitely like he's he's kind of Upgraded his love interest from Beltorsica, in my opinion, with Chain for sure. Um, and and he's he's put himself together really well. Although again, like there's definitely cracks with like his relationship with Lala and how that has traumatized him. And like you know, he's still like uh, uh, at his core, Amar is still like depressed trauma boy. He's never going to be able to get away from that. Um, but like I think part of Char's frustration with Amaro is, for me, I also read it as part of like the like. New types never ended up being what Char like wanted them to be. Like they, they never ended up being what um, his dad kind of said they were going to be. And that like just because Amuro has psychic powers doesn't mean he's going to be able to like change the world like that. He he can understand people. He can empathize with people, but he doesn't have the ability to sway people to his side because he's too dorky. He's too like honest, earnest, um, kind of plain a person. Um, which is to his advantage in some ways, but he cannot do what Char does. He cannot bring people to his banner. Um, whether Char wants to do it or not, he clearly has like the skill for it because he's so good at manipulating people. He's so good at wearing those masks and creating those identities for himself. Whereas like Amuro, Amuro can only lead the people that really want to follow Amuro, but he can never persuade someone to be to his side. And so it's like, it's frustrating that Amuro was never able to like grow up and earn those skills, but they also feel like skills that do not come naturally to the person that he's always been. And just because he has his new type powers doesn't mean that he can 
It doesn't mean that all of a sudden he, he can save the world in that way. The only thing he can do is is fight as a soldier in the wars that are in front of him, um, which is a limitation to who Amuro is, and it's a legitimate criticism of him. But part of that also reads to me as a frustration from Shar's point. He's externalizing onto Amuro of... If, if people like you were able to do the things that I can do, we wouldn't have these problems. You know, like if, if Camille and Judo and Amuro, if you guys could be, could have the ability to persuade people the way that I can, if the people who didn't want power were able to gain and wield that power, we wouldn't be in the situations we're in. But unfortunately, it's generally the people who crave power and wield power are the ones least qualified for it. Because when you crave that power you're probably going to be the one abusing it because you want power for power's sake. And so that like dynamic is one of those like really kind of like fruitful, potent schisms at the heart of the movie of these two characters that both kind of like need each other's skills to accomplish what they want, but also like push against each other because they have a natural rivalry and because their like desires and like their visions for the world are slightly different. Which I think leads to one of the main theses of the movie and of Gundam in general, which is that humanity is imperfect. And that person who has all of those abilities doesn't exist and will never exist. And there will never be the perfect person who can bring humanity together like this. There is always going to be tension and those things are always going to be in, in friction with each other. And if that's the case, it's not to say that war and conflict could never be overcome but it can't be overcome in one fell swoop or through one person or through one set of abilities. And I think part of the, the beauty of the ending with like the, the sort of new type evolution and this, this, what I read as sort of an instance of sheer human will being personified in that light um, is that there is hope in just the struggle. You know, and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself in reading the ending, but I think it's relevant to what we're saying here. And I think that's something bigger than either Amuro or Shar can see. And so, of course, they have to burn up within it because they cannot be seen within their own limited points of view as it cannot be seen within any individual person's limited point of view. Yeah, and as like the the world of like of Gundam and like the people creating it can't. Uh, like it's impossible for us to imagine the world free of those limits of like of what like of what the new like a true new type would be and like what the true like revolution of human humankind that tomino and like the people making gundam like kind of envision as like hopefully a, a new step for humanity it's impossible for us to actually conceptualize of what that would actually be um because i think like one thing that's about amuro's perspective as like you know which is true of like i think all the gundam protagonists is like no more so true than than for judo certainly for double zeta is they advocate for like collective effort and and for like it like a more kind of democratic collective push for change where it's not just about here's the cult of personality fixated on like one large figure like a haman karn or a, a Shara's novel, but it's all of us together working as a team, working as the crew of the White Base, or working as the Gundam team on the Nail Argama, or working as like all the, the people of the Ayug on, on the Argama with Camille and everybody. It's all of us working together and compensating for each other's weaknesses that can create the sort of like the snowball for change that hopefully then can like create larger change in the future. And like that's that is definitely what Amuro is advocating for. But the frustrating thing is that like that change that must must by like the nature of what collective effort is in that way would be it must be very slow. And and Amuro says like we must be patient for that change and not 
be hasty and, and throw away like what we have gained. Um, but that is not always like an easy, easy perspective to hold on to and to like advocate for when things are really, really bad, like they are for us now. And like they are, they, like they have been since the year 0079 in the world of Gundam, where this shit has been rough for a long time for these people. End of the movie. Shar and Amuro have a spectacular fight, and I think we will talk more later about the fight choreography and animation in this movie. Yeah. But would you say it delivers? Is it what you wanted out of a final oh, Shar Amuro fight? It's so good. It's so good. Like, I've watched that scene so many times on YouTube when I just, like, am craving a little, like, Gundam action. It's yeah, fucking, it's amazing. It is. And it ends with, this is such a great little piece of animation. Shar ejecting from his, his suit. He's in the little pod. And Amuro's like, no, you fucking don't. And grabs the pod and is holding on to it for the rest of the movie. Um, and shoves that pod into the side of Axis Zeon and is pushing against it. It's like Goku at the end of Battle of Gods against like the big bolt of like energy coming down to Earth. He's like, I just got to stop this this giant thing. And it, of course, is this this fruitless effort, which I think in its own way speaks to what Amuro represents and what Char sees as his faults, you know? It's a visual metaphor. Yeah. But he's shoving that ball against the, the Axis Eon, trying to push it back from the atmosphere. And within this big scene that happens, uh, we have their final conversation together. And it is about quests, and it is about Char not being her, her father figure, and about how he has manipulated people, and finally his admission that Lala Soon could have been a mother to him. And Amuro's like... Lala soon, mother, what? And that's it. And that's the last we hear from yeah. either of those characters. There's a lot to unpack in this scene. And I will say I am still unpacking it because I watched it and then I rewatched it. And I was like, there's a lot there. And I thought about it for a while. And when it hit me, what a perfect final line Char has. I kind of had to like sit down and stare at the wall for a couple minutes because it is such a brilliant final line. But I think it is a slow, it's a slow fuse to light off in your head. Yeah, because it is. It's like specifically they're they're having that argument about quests, and then and then Char just spouts out like, "Who are you to talk?" Like Lala Soon is a woman who could have been a mother to me, and you killed her. And and Amr just says, "Lala, a mother," and that's yeah. Those are the last lines, and it is that like, I like I said earlier at the beginning of the podcast, like that line just slapped me across the side of the face when it was just like so unexpected, and it, it was like something that like has been like in the back of my mind since I've seen this movie because it's so just like it's if at first blush it feels like it comes completely out of nowhere and then as you think about it like it is it's kind of like that like um the I've never betrayed anybody line of it seems really ridiculous and yet the more you think about it the more true it feels and then especially when you have um Gundam the Origin which wasn't made by Tomino but was made by someone directly involved heavily in the creation of the original show like so it's not like it comes out of like someone else just kind of completely retconning anything um but dramatizing a little bit of his relationship with his mother particularly in the first for like the movies the first movie um like kind of helps put a little bit more of that in perspective using information that is all stuff we know about him you know having to leave his family at a very young age and his father being killed um and him having to kind of grow up on his own of that like how how deep it runs when you say that Char is a broken person and like how far back that really goes. And it's the thing that when we were talking about the original Mobile Suit Gundam and the Lala Soon stuff on this podcast, 
it was so fucking hard to have conversations about his relationship with Lala in that show, which was the first time I had been like trying, like articulating the relationship between Shara and Lala with someone else who had seen the show um, to like not mention that line because I had talked about, if you go back and listen to that conversation, I was talking a lot about how Shara is someone who, who cannot have real relationships with other people that he's constantly grooming and manipulating people to be kind of, you know, not like all other than in the Shards Counterattack, not really in the Glimmy Toto way of that it's like super malicious, but he's like trying to push people um, to be what he wants them to be and to be in the positions he wants them to be in for the benefit of what Shara's novel wants. Um, and he just can't quite hold on to legitimate relationships with other people because he can never be vulnerable and he can never expose himself. Um, and the closest he gets is with Lala, but when you when you he drops this bomb of i saw lala as like a mother figure or like and it's not just like as a mother figure like she is a woman who could have been like a mother to me is how he phrases it of like that's what he was grooming her for um that because also earlier in the movie he has some line about how like he wanted her to show him the way forward um yep. which which also ex- uh, like echoes some of the line that he has in the original mobile suit gundam that's like he was literally like he he rescued this woman um, from poverty and like you know despair on Earth to shape her up as someone that could then be someone that he could like use to kind of justify his own existence in a way that's like you're the person who gives me reason to be to exist in the way like a mother does to a child and it's that like you realize how twisted he has been the whole time because I do not think that that's what Lala soon understood their relationship to be she maybe no. had some like she maybe because of how perceptive she was she maybe had some inkling that that's kind of how Shar saw her but that's clearly not the feelings that she held for him and his like manipulations of her to kind of like try to push her into this motherly role which then like really when you rewatch some of those scenes from mobile suit gundam you see where that comes from you see like in their conversations the difference between what Lala soon sees and what Shara's novel sees and like how he's trying to kind of like slowly push her more and more into that kind of role um, in their relationship. Uh, it's like, fuck man, you, it, it, it's, it makes you feel really bad. It makes me feel really bad for Shar. Like it makes me feel like how lonely this guy has been that he lost this really crucial relationship as a child that he has, he spent his like, most of his life trying to find some way to fill that void and in so doing never was able to grow up um and abandoned any kind of hope or like semblance of real human connection with anybody and it's why i mean it's why the au loses in zeta gundam is because he doesn't know how to have a relationship whether it's romantic or platonic with rekua and pushes rekua to join the titans and it's like because he doesn't know how to have relationships with other people and when people express a desire to be intimate with Shar, he can't have that relationship without manipulating them in some way. And it's it's been something that has been present with him the whole time. And for that to be the last line he has is to just fully like that's the if you think about, you know, Shar in moments where he's pulling off the mask and being like honest, which is he's often is not, like that is the biggest mask pull. That is him fully reverting back to who he is as a child and just lashing out at Amuro. Um, which is what he's been doing most of this movie is trying to lash out at Amuro in some way 
because of his grief and frustration over losing this like toy he had in Lala Soon. I said this at the time when we when we watched Mobile Suit Gundam that it is really interesting to me that Shar Osnabel takes orders from exactly one person in Mobile Suit Gundam, mm-hmm. and it's yep. Lala Soon when she says, "I would like you to wear a normal suit into battle," and he does that, and he is happy to do that. Because having someone who can tell him what to do and who he should be is, I think, his greatest wish. And I think the more you watch of him in Zeta and in this and, and in the origin, that is what he, he wants and needs. Is, is Shar can be a perfectly decisive man of action if he wants to be, but he tends to be a fairly destructive one. <laughs> Including when you talk about all his various manipulations, I feel like the one manipulation we keep forgetting to mention is how he got the name Shara's novel. Which is that right, yes. he groomed this poor dude on our he poor, groomed this poor ranch kid in Texas, the colony, not the state, to become his friend and his buddy. And they went to military school together. And then he reversed the papers and sent him on the ship that was going to blow up and just laughed as he died. And then took the name and wore sunglasses through four years of military academy, so no one would know. And then also yeah, the he, one he, dude who did know that he wasn't Charles Noble, he blew up in a tank. So exactly, he basically like shipped Luke Skywalker off to his death. Like, that's because, like, the dude who was the original Shar Oz novel is, like, 100% just Luke Skywalker at the beginning of Star Wars when he's, like, going to go off to the Imperial Academy before he encounters Obi-Wan and everything. Yes. And it's like, what if he ran into Shar Oz novel, or, or, sorry, Castle Rim Daikun, or Edward Mass at that point, and, and it was like, you know what? I have, like, I really hate Darth Vader because of some shit that Darth Vader did and betrayed and killed my family. So I'm going to manipulate you and, and get you killed so that I can be installed in the Imperial Academy so eventually I can fucking shoot the Emperor in the face with a, with a goddamn bazooka. Like, that's, that's basically what Shard does at the origin, and it's fucking amazing. It is. But that's what I mean, is that he is someone who, who he needs someone to tell him what to do. And I think yeah. he has that massive internal doubt of having been born into the, this position of power, being stripped of it at an age young enough where he understood what that meant, which I think is a key difference between him and Sela. Sela experiences grief, but she has, does not have that grief contextualized in, in the political dynamic. You know what I mean? And so yeah. Sela can grow up to have a relatively like, a healthy outlook on things. I think that grief empowers Sela. Um, and it empowers her to make constructed families and to love people in a pretty open-hearted way, in a way Shar cannot. Because Shar was just, he was older enough, and he is the male son in like a patriarchal society, where, where he gets shattered by it. Um, and he never, from that point on, has that person to tell him who he should be and what he should do with all of these these skills and these flaws that he has inside. And... I think the other thing, especially when, and I think the origin does such a good job contextualizing this in terms of the pain Shar keeps hidden. Shar is happy to talk about what the Zabbies did to his dad. He even brings it mm-hmm. into the speech in front of Neo Zeon in this movie. He says, They murdered my father. Which, again, as we've pointed out many times, we don't know. We never have known for certain if that happened. Yeah. Here's what we do know for certain is that they tortured his mother. Whatever they did to his father was bad they kidnapped his mother they kept her in a tower they kept her away from her kids they tortured her kids as well by you know separating them and all this stuff and they poisoned her until she died and that is a horror that Shara's novel is unwilling to talk about because I think it is so deep-seated 
inside of him and it drives so much of what he does that I don't know if he even can vocalize it until he is pushed to the point where he and Amuro are about to die in the fire. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's how deep it runs. And all the stuff about new types and the future and the legacy of Zeon Zoom Daikun and all of that, I think is ultimately... It sounds kind of edible and Freudian, but I actually think it's a place where this perfectly works, is about a kid who got ripped away from his mother and never knew what to do after that and just had a lot of anger. I still think one of the smartest scenes Char is ever involved in is at the end of the origin episode one, the the movie, the first OVA, where um, we've got Mayumi Tanaka Char, who's doing yep. a great performance, and he she, he is in the gun tank, and he's got Sela, and they're trying to get to the ship to get off of uh, side three, and he says, and he just starts shooting indiscriminately, and he says, they're our enemy, they're all our enemy, they all need to be destroyed, they all did this to us, and I think that is the mindset he is in, that immediate trauma of being ripped away from his mom and having to fight to get off this fucking colony and go into exile... I don't think he ever gets over that emotional state. I don't think he can. That's what I mean when he's broken. And certainly my having seen the origin in its like chronological position uh, helps like contributes to my reading of that. But I do think that's still all there. Like that didn't come out of nowhere with the origin. I think that is very much reading from who he was and, and assigning something to it. Yeah. And if you, you think if you take the origin out of the equation, like Char's mother is always is a very, conspicuously absent figure in what he ever talks about or what other people talk about. Everyone always talked about Zion Zoom Daikun, but especially the way that um, Char talks about him in this movie never feels like he has any particular love for him. Like no. they, like he, he, he has like a brief exchange with Nanai where he's talking about like, like I think she says, is it hard to sort of like keep up the mantle of your father? And, and Char just has some sort of like, offhandish response about like like it's like difficult like to like to to fill the the shoes of Zeon Zoom Daikun but there's no sense of like real affection or like love for a like parental love or fraternal love in there um and the fact that he like never really mentions his mother it never really comes up and then for it to come up in that last line like it it puts that sort of that negative space into stark relief of like oh that's on purpose. There's a reason why this guy has never like let out that kind of that kind of personal intimate information because it is like maybe that is the last real thing to him. Like is that relationship he had with his mother. Um and that's that's sort of leads me to I think a theme we can use to transition to talking about the other half of the movie um which is a theme that is present in all of Tomino's Gundam stuff and I have been I'm like 13 or 14 episodes into Space Runaway Ideon, which is the show he made in 1980 right after Mobile Suit Gundam um, that also deals with these themes that has like helped me think about it. I'll probably talk about Ideon on the next Gundam podcast when I have finished it. Um, but it, but there's a lot of similar lines that the protagonist Cosmo has that are lines that like Camille and Judo and Amuro all have in their Gundam shows about um, like adults versus children and, and how the children of these shows... Are, tra- are put into these situations where they are traumatized by adults that are like situations created by adults and created by the world that they're coming into. And I think like one of the like, if there is one overriding theme that of all the Tomino created stuff I have seen so far, um, it is the, the dichotomy between children and adults 
versus childishness and maturity, where I think Tomino envisions uh, in his stuff this sort of interesting difference where, um, like, the best person is a child. And by child, I don't just mean, like, 10 years old, but, like, into adolescence. Um, a child slash young adult who is mature, which is your, like, like who Judo is at the beginning, who Amaro and Camille learn to be over the course of their shows, are children who have a maturity to them. The worst kind of person in the world is an adult who is childish. Um, and that hypocrisy between being having the power and position in society of an adult, but having the sort of fickleness of what you would call childishness, that is the like that is recipe for destruction and corruption um, and is like the leading cause of like most of the stuff you see in the world of Gundam. And that like the way forward is to nurture a maturity and to believe in like not just nurture it, but like believe in the maturity of the coming generation and of young people to be able to perceive problems and to be able to actualize solutions and to not be a corrupt adult who gets in the way and tries to hold on to what they have. Um, and that's like one of the things, the overriding things that, that Tomino is interested in, in dramatizing in most of his stuff. And so in Char's counterattack, that is like one of like, I think the key revealing things in that last line is at, which is so true that at his core, Char has been a big kid this whole time. Like he has, he has, that's where most of his insecurities come from is this like stunted sort of childhood he had. And, and a lot of the things we love about him are these very childish things about playing with big robots and wearing this fucking mask and riding around on horses and giving these ridiculous speeches and laughing and like all the stuff in particular in the original show we love about Char are very childish in a way that like, Amuro is not like Amuro no. does not get to like he's not playing around and having fun. Amuro forces himself to try to like look at things the way that he envisions an adult would and to try to be mature about these things. Um, and you know, to he knows that like the situation he's in is unreasonable, he shouldn't have to be in this situation, but he is, so he's going to do the best about it. Um, and Char gets put into you know similar kinds of like traumatic circumstances as Amuro, and instead of trying to deal with it like, well, this this is not where I really wanted my life to be, but you know what, like I should try to make the best of this and work for the people I care about. Um, instead, Char gets put in that situation. He says, you know what I should do? I should murder every single person that put me into this situation. I should give into all of my worst like anger and impulses and have a childish tantrum that will last my entire life and just kill all these fucking people and laugh at them as I murder them because that's who that's who I want to be and that like that's how I'm going to express myself and that I that I think is where Char fails as a person and Amuro has potential to be better and then ultimately Amuro grows up and isn't able to sort of like actualize that new world because again i think it's it, like there are limitations for tomino as a creator and for most of us as people of envisioning what that like new world ultimately would be but the next generation comes around with camille and makes it it makes a little bit more progress and makes it a little bit better the next generation comes around with judo and judo definitely like makes more progress and makes a world that is better and and is a better version of the people that came before him and that hopefully that like trend can continue in the future as new young people come up and and supplant like that that the previous generation and the best thing you can hope is that the previous generation did not fall into childish corruption um the way that the world that like we come into at the beginning of the one-year war 
100% has. And the Federation, the people, the adults that run the Federation are all big, childish, ridiculous man children who are like, will just take dumb bribes um, because it suits them, because it, it, you know, profits them but hurts everybody else the way that like you would expect like a small, impetuous child to do. Um, and that's the world that, that these people come into that hopefully they can fix. That's a great, great analysis. And boy, certainly speaks again to our actual real world political moment that is going on uh-huh. as we record this podcast, Sean. I mean, it, it, it does make you think, and I think it is an interesting criticism that, that Tomino bakes into the character of Shar in that he is so entertaining and in weird ways lovable in, in his sadism. <laughs> That I do think Shar's counterattack and some of the stuff in Zeta makes you self-conscious of and asks you to think about those reactions because, you know, you have a figure in America right now like Donald Trump who is obviously extraordinarily childish in everything he says and does. And I think that disgusts to the bone all the sane people like you and I who hate him. But that yeah. is his biggest attraction to his fans is that yep. he is stupid and he is like proudly ignorant and that he is childish in how he views, you know, militarism and how he views the economy and foreign relations and all of that. Like that is a childishness that they can get behind and it is I think one of the core things about this authoritarian impulse we're seeing all over the world right now is is a desire for simple childish solutions to big complicated problems and i think it is a very human desire and i think it's something worth understanding and taking seriously um you know feeling our own disgust at it but also understanding why is it appealing to anyone else you know and i i think in that analysis that you've just given us on char you can actually take that into the real world and it it makes things make a lot more sense It, it doesn't necessarily help us fix it but it sure puts it in context yeah, and it's the thing of where um with Amaro in this movie like the like his he like part of him that feels childish but in like a weirdly mature way is his ability to be like honest about himself and like th- like one thing I love about this movie is I even though there's not a huge amount of screen time devoted to it but his sort of like quiet relationship with Chain um Agi the the engineer on the new Gundam of that is just like it's you know it's not a perfect relationship and she like remarks a couple of times like how Amuro all of a sudden can go like weirdly cold um but he because of like you know again like his traumas and his stuff with Lala but Amuro never tries to hide that from her which is something that Char is always doing to everybody in this movie is he's always hiding the unpleasant things and he's trying to be like the the person He's trying to be the Char that... Whenever he's with Nanai, he's trying to be the Char that Nanai sees. Whenever he's with Quest, he's trying to be the Char that Quest sees. And Amro's not ever trying to do that. Amro's only ever just Amro. Whether that's convenient or, like, useful for the people around him or not. Like, that's one of the things that pushes Quest away. Um, it's one of the things that probably prevents him from having as close a relationship and as intimate a relationship as, with Chain as he potentially could have. Like, intimate in quotations of, like, progressing on long, like, a sort of standard way you would like judge a relationship in society not like that would be a fake intimacy but you know what i mean um he he instead he like pursues to be honest with himself and honest with the people around him even if it's not it's not super pleasant um and that's like a i see that as like a positive kind of childishness i think that's very mature actually it's it's a maturity about your own faults yeah, it's like it's, childishness is not the right way. It's like it's it's an innocence to him, or an naive, like a positive version of naivete of that. Like he's just willing to be open and honest with the people around him, which is 
always the thing to me about which is more true of Amuro than I think any other Gundam protagonist. Like even Judo and Camille sometimes aren't always like that. Judo is usually is, but not always. Um, like sometimes with Pudu, I think he, he kind of puts it a little bit on. Whereas like Amuro, it will always be to me, the defining moments for me with Amuro are when he goes and gives Kai his fucking little box of tools and the moment when when Sela calls him a new type and he says, you know what, people always really call me old-fashioned because he's just a big, dumb dork. That's who Amuro really is. And he's not just afraid to be a big, dumb dork with the people around him. Um, and, like, Char would never let himself be that dumb. Um, he, he, he always wants to be suave and cool and say the right cool thing um, and be, like, very calm and confident. Um, and Amuro's like, nah, fuck that, man. Like, I'm just... I'm just going to be me, like, because I don't have time. I, like, Amro does not have the brain power to spend on constructing all those personalities. He's too focused on other shit. Yeah. So, should we talk about Quest and Hathaway? Yes, yeah, let's hit that, that side of the movie. Considering we've, we've, almost, we've talked for, like, three-fourths of the runtime of the whole film on just yeah. Char and Amro. I mean, and we could do it another three-fourths, because it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's, there's a lot. But, yeah, I mean, so Quest is... Quest actually, in many ways, I think, has the um, profile of a Gundam protagonist in that she is the daughter of someone like high in government, which both Amuro yeah. and Camille have. And then she kind of runs out and kind of tries to forge her own future, which also Amuro and uh, Camille have. Um, and and she is sort of the driving figure of the first half of the movie in a lot of ways. Um, certainly her POV pushes things forward in, in all sorts of ways. And then you have Hathaway, who is kind of another version of a Gundam protagonist. Um, ultimately, they both play into archetypes that are very, very well trod at this point in Gundam. In that Quest is the, as you say, Lala soon for Murasame, you know, pick your new type Poodoo. from Z- Double Zeta you know yeah. Puru in some ways she is that figure and Hathaway is like your Amuro or Camille or Judo I feel like Hathaway has a lot of Judo in him in, in some ways or maybe even Katz yeah. is a good comparison um, yes he, he feels like Katz in the sense of like he's like he like with Katz he feels like a failed Gundam protagonist yes um, which makes me very interested to get to the Hathaway's Flash movie like the, with the very little I know about the premise, it feels like they continue along that trend of like, oh yeah, Hathaway is a gun to protagonist who could have been that 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 never quite was. I mean, Hathaway, I just from what I know about Hathaway's Flash is Hathaway is a very dark character, and that yes, makes yeah. total sense given what he does in Char's Counterattack because I do think, like the quest side of the movie, I enjoyed and I found interesting. I thought it did some parts of it do feel a little rote to me just in how much it is mm. going down well trod paths again. I think ultimately what, I don't want to say saves it, because it's never bad, but what makes it for me is how dark they push it with Char, in that Char really does manipulate her in horrible ways. Not sexual ways, but, but horrible, you know, um, violent ways. And that, Although I think Char does misunderstand it as, like, a sexual relationship that she wants, which yeah. is one of his, like, last lines. is like, oh, she wanted a father figure. That's why... She pissed me off because yeah. I think he just like saw her as like another woman that wanted to sleep with the Red Comet. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think that's interesting with Quest. And then I think where they take the Quest death scene in that we've seen the scene where the Lala soon figure dies a million fucking times, right? Yeah. But in this one, it's not just, okay, there's a big three-way fight. Chain shoots um, Quest. Hathaway is very mad about this. That's where a lot of these scenes stop. 
Hathaway turning on his ally and murdering Chain in cold blood and that being where we leave Hathaway in this movie is where I feel like it really kicks it to a different, much darker level than we've seen before. You know what I mean? Yeah, the, the, like it's the, the, the chaos of that moment in, in Hathaway just like completely letting himself go and like just you know in that emotional space and just lashing out at at chain because it's clear that like as soon as it happens that hathaway is horrified by what he's done um but it's obviously not something you could ever take back no and he does it and there isn't it's not chaotic when he does it i mean they're alone that's true yeah he doesn't have to shoot it is a conscious decision to point the gun at this woman and blow her to kingdom come and the violence, and I think there, there is just there is a punch to that that Gundam has not necessarily delivered in one of these moments before, where it, it you know the ally killing a friend or these sorts of things happening we've seen before. I it's it's such a violent, dirty like Western moment, you know, that like feels like like out of a really bloody Western or something. Um, mm-hmm. And definitely knowing what Hathaway's Flash is about, uh, it makes sense. It makes sense that he would be that fucked up. <laughs> Is all I'll say. Yeah, it, mm-hmm. yeah. That it's just the. You're right. It's it's the the shock of the violence of that moment because like what you expect because and I think like the movie 100 percent is like leading you to this conclusion. What you expect is that Hathaway is going to go out there to try to save uh, Quest, and in the process, in the middle of that confusion, ends up accidentally firing a shot that kills Quest. It's like that's. That is what that is how the Lala Soon archetype generally goes. Yes. Um and they're they've played so close to the build up to that structure, um, that you just assume that that's going to like, you know, history's repeating itself. It's it's Amaro and it's it's uh Lala, it's Katz and Sarah, it's uh Camille and Four or Camille and Rosamia. Like it's that kind of thing. And it's like well, this time not quite. Like Chain deliberately kills Quest because fucking quest is murdering a bunch of people and hathaway can't let that go um and, and i should say there's a yeah. there's a manga adaptation of char's counterattack called belter chica's children where i guess belter yeah. chica is in the story um yeah she time. replaces chain effectively yeah. um because she's still in a relationship with amuro from the end of um zeta gundam yeah and I have most of that manga in fan scanlations. I don't have the final volume, which is a little odd. Um, but I do know in that version, he does, Hathaway does kill um, yeah. Quest, which I think, Quest. to me, I haven't read the manga. I don't know how it works. It feels like that would pretty, it would cheapen the story for me quite a bit. But Yeah, because one thing, because the history of this is actually kind of interesting because um, Tomino in, I think, 87, because this movie came out in 88, right? So yeah. Uh, yeah, so in '87, Tomino released a novel called *Mobile Suit Gundam High Streamer*, which is basically the plot of *Shars Counterattack*. And so they based *Shars Counterattack* on that novel. And then Tomino May wrote another novel, which is *Beltorchica's Children*, um, which is a similar story, but that branches in different ways, like with uh, Hathaway killing Quest instead, um, Beltorchica being there instead. Like some of the mobile suits are different, some of that kind of stuff. And then the manga is based on Peltorchuk's children, the novel. And so it's interesting that, like, there are basically three different versions, three different main versions of this story that are out there. And then, obviously, I think there's a manga adaptation of High Streamer. There's a manga adaptation of Shars Counterattack. And there's a manga adaptation of Peltorchuk's children. So if you put all those together, there's, like, six or seven versions of the Shars Counterattack story that exist out there um, that I have not 
engaged with any of those directly. I only know about them from reputation. Um, the art yeah. in Beltar Chica's Children is extremely cool, just having glanced through it. Um, but it does seem fairly different. I mean, it's long. It's like six volumes, which obviously for one two-hour movie means there has to be a lot of expanded stuff in there. Um, yeah. And it also ends with a very clear Amuro and Char are dead and not an ambiguous ending. So, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to, to read that at some point, if I can ever find that last volume somewhere. <laughs> but yeah. anyway, yeah, so what else to say about Quest and Hathor? I mean, there's a lot we can say about her relationship with Char, certainly. Yeah, because it is like the... Because her relationship with Char is, I think, where the Quest stuff is most interesting. Because it is... Because it's where, like, because I, like, again, that to me is, like, while it is not on, like, the technical moral scales, the worst thing that Char has ever done by a long shot, it feels like, outside of maybe some of the stuff from Origin, like, manipulating and killing um, the original Char, um, it's the grossest I've ever felt about Char. Which is not to say that it feels like something Char would not have done. I 100% believe that he would do this, particularly at this point. But it's that thing of where it's like, man, dude, you are just... You're fucking up this kid so bad. Um, this really like naive, impressionable young woman that is very sensitive because she's a new type, a very powerful new type, and you are doing your fucking Shara's novel bullshit. And or and like he's channeling Glimmy Toto so much in those moments of um, every time every time she comes into the room, the way that Ikeda like changes the tone of his voice, like the pitch of his voice heightens. It gets very gentle. Um, like Char is just animated his body language is animated so differently and it's that like immediate juxtaposition when he goes into that mode makes me feel so gross about Char um, and yeah that's like the dynamic that feels like the most potent with Quest is showing how far Char has fallen at this point that like you know this this is a woman who could have been like another Lala soon at this point I mean one obviously I don't think Char would ever be able to see her as a mother figure but at this point, like, Char has gone so far down, he can't see the value in her as a person at all anymore. Which I think they, there have been times in Char's past where he would have been able to do that. Like, I think he sees the value of Rekua as a human being, even if he can't, like, really connect with her emotionally um, and reciprocate anything emotionally. But he's, he's, he's definitely not questing her, you know? He's not trying to manipulate her like that, and it's so gross. Absolutely, because she just kind of literally falls into his lap. Like, he doesn't try yeah. to seduce her to the dark side or anything like that. But she comes along for the ride. He doesn't say no. He realizes there's something convenient in here. It's, it's the casualness of it that he doesn't really give it a second thought. It is not active in his thoughts in the movie, I don't think. It's just, oh, this is a convenient tool for me to use. This is not front of his mind the way Lala was in the original series. It is very gross in that way. And, you know, that she dies without him, I think, ever being aware of it is, like, says a yep. lot, you know? Like, mm -hmm. she's out there. I don't think Amaro's ever... Like, it, it kind of happens in the background of the movie, and he has just sent her out as one of his, you know, most powerful foot soldiers, and, you know, that's great. It shows... And he's just like, oh, that's great. We'll have that. We'll just do that. And I think it shows how much of the... The, the politician side of him is actually a real, very real impulse inside him, as much as he might hate it. It's a very political thing to do. Yeah. And then, because the other thing I think is also to, like, contrast her with uh, Nanai Miguel, who um, is, like, the hot Xeon lady that Char has some sort of, like, interesting, like, 
clearly, like, Nanai obviously sees it as a romantic relationship. Um, I don't think Char is capable of having a romantic, actually having a romantic relationship with anybody. Um, but he is, like, using her. And, I, and, and there's almost, like, a sense that Nanai kind of probably understands that at a certain level because she's not dumb. Um, but doesn't, but like she's happy to be used because it's fucking Shara's novel. Yeah. And if there's one, if there's one like criticism I would level at Shara's counterattack, it is that I think because it has to compress everything into a two hour movie, I think it ends up giving um, a more, way more limited version of some of the gender dynamics in Tomino's like full shows. And so sometimes I do feel like Char's counterattack ends up being a little bit too reductive of pushing the female characters into these specific roles um, because it just doesn't have the room for a like Emma Sheen or Rue Luca um, that can be like feel a bit more like revolutionary and like doesn't have to necessarily be in a romantic relationship with a dude doesn't necessarily have to be a woman that is like tragically manipulated into dying by a male character in the show or in the movie um, and that's where like. I think like Tomino has a lot of different roles for women in his in his stuff and but only like the really big ones get fitted into this film in a way that ends up I think being makes the film feel a little bit reductive about its female characters um and that's that's like the biggest issue I have with this movie all that being said like I do think Nanai and Quest are very interesting characters that have like really compelling scenes and the scene that Nanai has with Char where that's very intimate, where they're, like, both in bathrobes um, at, like, I think it's when they're at Sweetwater. And, like, that kind of, like, the weird dynamic between them where it feels like Char is manipulating her, Nanai is kind of accepting of that manipulation. Um, like, that, it, it's a kind of scene that I don't think, like, Gundam doesn't usually go for. It feels way more adult. And, and it's, it's the dynamic of it feels so kind of, like, electric partially because we just have never seen these characters kind of pushed into that realm that feels like a little bit more of like a mature kind of setting for two adult characters to be in um that that again like kind of highlights how broken char is that like he cannot really have this authentic moment with this woman and he still sees it as another opportunity to manipulate her in some way absolutely um do you want to talk about uh, just like now more stylistic stuff like the mechs and the animation and all that stuff um yeah first of all just a couple of, of other character notes of one I really like the two um, women pilots because there's one because they're relatively minor, minor characters but you have uh, Kara Sue who is one of the Londo Bell she's like with Amuro um, who's also Asanaji got like you know hooked up with this cool dope pilot lady oh i love all that yeah that's really good stuff double zeta yeah so like she's really cool and then the um one uh i can't find her name but the one that's also on neo zeon she's not quite as important but there's just these two dope like rocker fucking punk ass ladies just piloting mobile suits for both sides and they are very cool minor characters also um asanaji does meet he does die like he, it's very brief, but he gets shot when he's trying to stop Jane Chain from getting to the Regeza. Um and it's Asanaji's my boy, and he's like one of those characters that's been in the background for so long. He's like the Apolly 
of from Zeta. Like he hasn't had a lot of characterization, but he's just been there for so long that seeing him get killed is like Astanashi, no. And it's no, so you're... brutal and quick, like it's yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just seeing his body float through the hangar of the Rakylum. It's just like, God, Astanaji, you're my boy. I love you so much. And it's like, well, and that's after at least you Kara got a hero's dies, death. Who I yeah. think is one of the sadder deaths in the movie because you have this character, Astanaji, who you've known for so long, who, who really loved her. And like, he's so broken up about it. And then he dies. And oh my God, yeah. No, that whole, the, the chaos of the last like 45 minutes of this movie is truly just absolute edge of your seat. Like, uh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it definitely recaptures a lot of the energy from the last two episodes of Zeta Gundam in this yeah. movie. Like, they, it's, it's it's definitely like operating in that mode of where like shit's just popping off, people are dying, um, and it's like so impressive that this movie finds space to be able to introduce some of those smaller characters that feel like if this was a full Gundam show, like Keira probably would be like the Imachine or Rekua of Shards Counterattack, the Gundam TV version. Um, and it's really cool that they managed to find space to put those characters in there and that they're like notable and like have multiple scenes that kind of establish those characters. Um, and it's, 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 it's a little bit of like that Mobile Suit Gundam. How did they fit all this into one movie? I don't know how you did it. It feels like you cast some sort of magic spell or made a deal with the devil to be able to compact all of this in here and have it work. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, but that's the last character stuff I wanted to hit. So now we can move to the main style stuff. I mean, there are this. It's also amazing how much good style stuff this movie fits into one movie. Like, there's a lot of good mobile suit designs. Um, I think the what's the name of the ship that Bright is capped? I can never remember. Uh, the Rakylum. The Rakylum. Yes, I love the Rakylum. It's like the best of the Argama and the best of the White Base, like shoved together and then yep. made bigger. Because I always thought the Argama had a cooler exterior and the White Base had a cooler interior. And I think this one has kind of the coolest of both, especially yeah. with the dual bridge where there's like the navigation bridge and the combat bridge. Captain Bright is so in his element. I made kind of a jokey tweet about this the other day, but it's very true. This is the first time in Gundam where we have seen Captain Bright with a well-supplied crew of competent adults. And he takes care of this problem in two hours. Like this is, I know not two hours of actual like diegetic time, but like Char's rebellion is very short. Char is not actually that successful at his plans, all things considered. Yeah. And one thing I love about that is in like the final battle, you get these multiple moments where, because Char knows that Bright is leading the uh, Londo Bell forces. And so you get multiple times where like, Bright is launching like multiple missile volleys and he's like put nukes inside of like volleys with normal missiles and stuff. And Char's just like, ah, oh, damn you, Bright. That's a good, like, you got me on that one, Bright. And, and yep. it, it's a good continuation of their like few interactions from Zeta Gundam where they have like that, like those like big handshakes and like the big, like mutual respect for the Red Comet and the captain of the White Base. And here, like, I like that continuation of like, motherfucking bright noah like you got me again man you're good at what you do one one character we did forget to mention actually is the i forget his name but he's basically the jared Mesa of this show which is the, yeah gune yeah. yeah gune who i i like as like a foil for all these characters he's not super major in the movie and he like has this weird thing where he hates char and kind of wants to overthrow him um i feel like they maybe bit off a bit more than they could chew with that character he does have one of my favorite moments in the movie which is where all the nukes are coming at him and he does he sends the funnels out and blows up the whole line of nukes which leads to one of my favorite single images in the movie which is the whole line of nukes blowing up in front of axis zeon it's unbelievably well animated yeah, that stuff's really good. And then also, 
God, there's so much stuff in this movie because that also then reminded me that you also have the multiple cutaways to Mirai and Chaming on Earth. Yes. Which are really important, like, little moments to constantly remind us that, like, the people on Earth are not just the Earth Federation elite that are ruining things. There's also, like, refugees and people in poverty living there. And, you know, Mirai and Chaming are trying to get out of the city and, like shit is popping off and like there are explosions and people like there's a moment where like a guy just like walks out of a store and shoots a gun at someone while they're like in traffic um and so those little moments are like really good job of that the movie does to like remind us of the human cost of what char's plan is actually going to entail um which is sort of a like you know like the the thousands of people that got executed in the french revolution a lot of them sucked a lot of them were like nobles that were oppressors a lot of them also were not and so it's like that kind of extreme political action comes with significant cost that you cannot let yourself forget or or you truly are a monster and i do like it's not super front and center in the movie but that bright knows that the earth he's fighting for has his wife and kids on it you know yep like that that just makes the action very direct for everybody i think and especially for like bright is really desperate in the last half hour of this movie because things have gone to such shit um and he's holding it together pretty well but i think that's there in like the vocal performance and the facial animation you know yeah absolutely all right um mobile suits there's a lot of good ones i you've got got your new gundam right there i got my new gundam one of like for me probably like top three top five gundam designs the new gundam i love him so much he is so fucking cool what an amazing fucking mobile suit design the new gundam is i think it's probably the best actual like a gundam design if we're just going with the actual gundams because it's basically got the color scheme of the mark ii which is the best gundam color scheme and then those fucking funnels like the funnels have mostly up to now been the kinds on the um on the Kubelay? Yeah, the Kubelay, uh, Haman Karn's device that is later given to Puru, two, Puru and Puru 2 and everyone. And that's those little, like, funnels that come out, and they look like funnels. Um, and it's just got these giant, like, vertical slices on its back that come out and fold over and become these, like, energy tunnels that, like, light and stuff shoot through. It is so cool. It's so great in action. It's such a good color scheme. It, it really does feel like the ultimate Gundam design up to this point. Yeah, because it's one of the things of, like, having the movie budget, they're able to execute on the funnel thing so well and, like, so much better than the shows can. Because the shows do it okay, but, like, the speed at which they move and, like, the detail they're able to animate them with in this movie is so cool. And, yeah, the fin funnels on the new Gundam, which are just, like, these... Because it's, like, because when they're on the gun, the new Gundam itself, they make, like, an asymmetric wing on one side, which is just objectively fucking rad. Um, But then they... Also, I think visually just looks so cool as like these, you know, these big sort of like cannons that shoot out and fly around and they do a lot of cool stuff. Like I love the part where they make this kind of like energy field around the new Gundam to block um, incoming shots. Um, He's got a big, he's got a big old bazooka on the back of the new Gundam as well, where, which Amuro uses really well in the movie because he just is able to fire the bazooka without dislodging it. So he just like shoots it from behind while it's still on his back, which is very, very cool. And then one of the other things about the new Gundam, we talked about this a little bit in ZZ, um, is that the Gundams and like the mobile suits in general and mobile suit Gundam get bigger and bigger and bigger as the shows go on. And then in F91, they scale it back a lot. The new Gundam is taller than the double Zeta. 
you can't, you, it's hard to tell because you don't have anything else to compare it to other than other mobile suits. The new Gundam is fucking massive. The new Gundam is almost as tall as my Master Grade Talgies. And the Master Grade Talgies is a 1 to 100 scale. The new Gundam is 1 to 144. So if they're in like the same, if they're basically the same size, that's ridiculous. And I love that like the Gunpla being the same scale means I can put like my new Gundam next to the original Gundam from the Arc 78-2. And it's like twice as big and it's fucking ridiculous. And I love it. Yeah, you showed me that last time I was over and like it was hilarious. You're not kidding when you say it's twice as big. It's pretty much twice as tall. Yeah, so the new Gundam, I love to death. I think it's so cool. It's also, it's just got some of the coolest, like, weapons and abilities. So in all the games I've played that allow you to play as a bunch of different mobile suits, the new Gundam is always one of the fun, most fun ones to play as. Um, it's just super rad. Awesome. And then we've got Char's mobile suit, which I always forget the name of. What's it called? The the Sazabi. Yeah, the Sazabi. It's 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 not as cool as the new Gundam. It definitely feels like a bit of a rehash of certain designs we've had before, but I think it's all in the little details, and it definitely looks good in action against Amuro's suit and everything. Yep, the, the Sazabi is very very cool. I also do like the um, the Jagan, which is like the new GM kind of like the normal Earth Federation suit, and the Gira Doga, which is the new kind of Zaku style suit that Neo Zeon has. I think both of those designs look really good too. Yeah. Um, just kind of all across the board, all the new mobile suits in Shards Counterattack are like look really good, um, and, and think... they're just like they look like really advanced versions of the mobile suits that we have been following so far. Um, so like their their designs follow really well from from where we've been. Absolutely, but the most important thing is how good they look in action. Because holy fucking shit, Sean, this movie had some money behind it. It had some time behind it. They do things with the mobile suits in the animation here with like how they navigate three-dimensional space and how they move the camera dynamically that I'm not sure I've seen in hand-drawn animation elsewhere. There's a lot of this that, like... I've seen stuff like that in the origin where they just straight-up CGI the mobile suits, and that's I'm more used to because CGI obviously allows for much more dynamic camera movements and pans and stuff. Um, There's stuff in this that reminded me of some of the shots in the the new Dragon Ball Super movie, the Broly movie, in terms of how Uh fast there are movements. And, of course, the Broly movie also uses CGI to do all of that. So I don't know how the fuck they did some of this. It's out of this world because this movie only has one CG shot in it, and it's of a colony turning. I think it's the Sweetwater shot. So none of the mobile suit stuff. That's all by hand, and it is so breathtaking, the speed and mobility that they have on screen here. Yeah, and they're able to, you know, they, they, they always feel like mobile suits. And, and it's one of those things just nice of, like, they're not personified, you know? Like, the way the mobile suits move feels so mechanical. Um, and, and, like, that's one thing that they, like, capture really well with the um, fidelity of the animation they can have. And this especially they're able to do stuff like... Um, I love what they do with beam sabers, which would have been like, it's much more like sort of time expensive to animate for a TV show. But for the movie, they have the beam sabers are sort of like on some sort of like low power mode. So they're just kind of emanating a little bit of energy from the tip until they go to slash something and then they extend all the way out. And so the when Amuro and Char are fighting, like the beam saber clashes are so dynamic and cool looking because it feels, it's like the kind of thing that like, like, it would be interesting if Star Wars ever did that of playing with, like, someone having their lightsaber on versus having it off, like, in the middle of a fight. 
and that's kind of what they do here and it's it feels like it's this very efficient like what if you actually fought war with a weapon like that well you'd conserve power as much as possible and also not want to make it obvious like what where your weapon is and what it's doing so the way that it just sort of flashes on and goes off really quickly it's something that no other gundam thing maybe f91 does it i just don't remember but on my memory no other gundam show does the beam sabers quite like that because i think it's just like a lot harder to animate it because you have to do so much more detail um but it's so cool in this movie uh like with everything with the animation of this movie it's just so detailed so cool like the in the direction in the sort of choices of how to film and choreograph the action uh is truly spectacular oh yeah it's i don't even know what to say we could devote an entire episode just you and i go through and like pick 10 favorite shots and then just Uh analyze those for an hour because that would be uh, totally doable, and it's amazing. I also think it's worth mentioning the score. It's once again by Shigeaki Saigusa, who did both Zeta Gundam and Double Zeta Gundam. It definitely feels like it's in that mode, and it's got it's all fully orchestrated for the first time. So it's a really yep. big, cool score for a Gundam movie. It just it all feels so cinematic, and I think for a show that always did such good work on television, it's clear, I think Tomino and everyone felt like they really had to up their game for it to feel cinematic, because while this is the first original Gundam movie, Gundam had been in theaters before, very famously, they had three big movies that kind of saved the series back in the early 80s, so like, how do you one-up all of that and make it look really big, proper cinematic? They just, I feel like they went to the mattresses with this one, it is... An incredible, incredible production. And yeah, I was pretty constantly blown away by what was going on on screen. And I now really, 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 really want to see this in a movie theater. And I don't know when I will ever have that opportunity. Other than I might just have to sneak into one of the screening rooms at Iowa, the University of Iowa after hours and just put on the Blu-ray or something for myself. Yeah, because it is definitely like... Because this movie is so beloved in Japan, like it's it's in a lot of like the sort of like voice actor, um, like radio stuff that is sometimes consumed um, as just like a way to practice Japanese and just to have fun. Like there are like of the voice actors that I know um, that really like Gundam stuff and talk about Gundam stuff and are like in Gundam stuff because they watched it as a kid. They talk about Char's counterattack in like hushed tones because it feels like this movie made such a big impact. Um, over there and also the 40th anniversary special they did where they brought a bunch of the voice actors and did this poll for like most popular characters most famous lines um, there's a lot of stuff from Char's counterattack um, that people really like Char uh, Amro's line about like just like like you know I don't know who cares about this big pile of rubble I'll just push it back the new Gundam isn't just for show and then him slamming into the into Axis so it's just like the line de- delivery that Furia gives is very good and oh, I get why you Gundam wa date janai is a really it's a line that like is in if you play a Gundam video game it's like if you play as Amuro he's like constantly saying that line in the new Gundam because it's like fucking yeah it's the new Gundam is not just for show. The Gundam is going to fucking save the world. Because that's what the Gundam do. I mean, I was, I've been doing some research for myself because I, I am... For school, it's a long story. I'm putting a document together. I'm going to be doing a project involving kind of the history of anime, broadly writ. You know, from like 1960 to now. And I was trying to make a, a little filmography for myself, which obviously there's a lot you could include. 
And yeah. I was, I've been trying to control how much I include of, like, my own fan interests with areas I need to expand into and learn more about. But, like, you look it up and, like, actually Char's Counterattack kind of needs to be on the list because of what a big moment for theatrical animation it was, you know? Um, yeah. And, and what an impact it made culturally because it was not just a huge hit but obviously has a pretty deep cultural impact. And I can totally imagine if you were a kid who, like, Let's say you were a 10-year-old when Gundam came out in 1979, and then you're 19 when this came out in 1988. This movie would have rocked your fucking world in a theater, you know? Yeah. And one thing, like, with that that I think is really savvy about this movie is that, like, obviously you would want to have watched everything up to this point. But I think you could very easily watch the first three Gundam theatrical films and then watch Char's Counterattack. And there are going to be things that you miss but you can 100% do that. Like, it's, again, not the ideal viewing experience. But if you imagine that, like, someone who, you know, back in Japan during back in the day, like, maybe saw the Gundam movies when they were in the theaters and they were super popular. And then, like, six years later, Char's Counterattack comes out. And you didn't watch any of the TV stuff in between there. You could still go to the theater with your friends, watch this movie. And because it's Amuro and Char, I suspect this is probably one of the reasons why they, they created Chain instead of putting Beltorchica in it, is to, like, there are basically no characters from Zeta or Double Zeta in here. So, like, they kept the, like, necessary information from Zeta and Double Zeta to a minimum and left that as stuff that if you have seen it, it really helps inform and expand your reading of what is going on in the movie, but it's never necessary information. And that's one thing that I think is really, like, elegantly done about this movie is that it is... While for as complicated it is in its themes and how it expresses those themes, as as a piece of entertainment, it's really surprisingly like approachable and accessible to an audience when it is like the a movie that is a successor to basically 150 episodes of television up to this point. Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking about that too. That like you could imagine an alternate continuity where we just jumped ahead 15 years and this was the next step for Amuro and Shar and like. It would be very nice to know all the Zeta and Double Zeta stuff, but you know you can kind of you can fill in the gaps for yourself. You might not fill them in the way they happened on TV, but you could do it. Um, so yeah, anything else to say about the movie itself? Um, I have a little bit of wrap up stuff I want to do, but anything else about yeah. the movie? Um, you know the 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 ending. Um, like oh, yeah. that the, the moment of all the um other mobile suits coming in and trying to push Axis along with Amuro and him freaking out and being like, no, don't like you're the, like you're exploding. Like your mobile suits can't even take this, please. Like the Gundam will do this. And, and like, you know, I don't think Amuro can't actually do it on his own, but he doesn't want to sacrifice other people. Um, like that ending is so powerful to me. And, and like Amuro, like literally falling out of his chair from it, like shaking so much in him, like being frantic, trying to get everyone to stop. Um, and then the, you know, the light of humanity, from the the psycho frame and and Amuro's new type powers and everyone there wishing for like hey maybe maybe destroying the earth is slightly an extreme thing to do maybe we can find a better solution to this um splitting axis apart and Amuro and Char falling into the atmosphere um with their fates technically ambiguous obviously like they couldn't feasibly survive but I like that you don't have like the easy closure of just seeing them die and like burn up. It's something that you just have to know must have happened. And then the most ripping fucking kick ass song starts playing Beyond the Don- Beyond the Time by TM Network, which is a song that I have been listening to constantly since I first saw this movie like three or four years ago at this point. It's so um, it's good. Like, it's legitimately one of my favorite songs. Like I just 
it's it's the hottest fucking 80s jam you could ever possibly wish for um it's like the build-up is so good but especially when they you hit the chorus and it's um you know like you can you can change the you can change your destiny beyond the darkness like yami nobuko you can change your future beyond the time um we can share the happiness we must search together um for like our bright future like the lyrics of beyond the time are also very very good so that yeah. song i cannot talk about char's counterattack with all also shouting out how fucking amazing that song is you don't have to give a shit about gundam you should listen to beyond the time it's just that good it is and that ending is just that good i love how ambiguous it is i love how like tomino is so good at endings of just knowing like where you cut your story and he has very short denouements but like yeah. i do think they're there and i think amuro and char being in this heated battle having their final argument and then the light of humanity comes in and i i think i kind of gave my interpretation of it earlier but i do think it is like a 2001 moment of something has happened there has been some kind of human evolution in this moment whether it's lasting i don't know but i love that it leaves you to linger on what the people of earth see which is this giant you know beautiful almost like the aurora borealis or something billowing through space it is their salvation you know amuro and char's spirits i think are contained within that because i think in some weird way what has happened is a fusion of their different ideologies and personalities and it feels to me like you know if i'm very excited to see where gundam in the universal century timeline goes after this moment if this were it i would be totally happy that would be such a beautifully haunting thought-provoking moment to end things on um i can't imagine gundam kind of wrapping up its own story in any more satisfying way you know what i mean yeah and, and it is the ending of this stuff because you know f91 and victory gundam are set in universal century but it's so far past this point that like it is effectively its own thing so like yeah char's counterattack is uh, to me it feels like a definitive ending of this era of gundam um and and yeah that like all the imagery of like i mean first of like axis um silhouetted against the sun as i have um, a screenshot of it it's so good such a good shot and then later when it splits apart and then is pushed away by the light of humanity like all that imagery is just so powerful um and then ending on on a shot of the earth like cloaked in the warmth of the light of humanity is a again like tomino has this reputation for being like a very very dark storyteller and he is in a lot of ways but at the end he likes to generally like find this like hope and optimism which is something that like I feel like if you listen to this podcast, you know it's something that I like. Like, I, if you're going to go to really dark places, I think in some ways you have a responsibility as a storyteller to find some of the light and hope in there. Um, because if you don't, at, at some point, it's just not interesting if you don't find it somewhere in there. And to me, like, the most potent stories like Near Automata are the ones that go the deepest into the darkness and find whatever shimmering light they can down in those depths. And so that's one of the things that attracts me to Tomino so much as a storyteller is he is fucking as good at doing that as anybody. And in Char's counterattack is, is ample evidence of that. So let's talk about where weekly suit Gundam is going next, Sean. Yeah. Cause we, we have not discussed off the air about how, where we're going to go. Cause I don't know what your plans are. I, I ha- like, as we said earlier, like well, I would hold your hand for mobile suit Gundam and we did those um, five episodes and then, 
then I gave you the reins, and you I let you decide where to go next. So I'm curious what your thoughts are. So I have the next three episodes planned out. Okay. I don't know when will be, you know, like how long it'll take me to watch and then record, but I know what they're going to be, I think. And you can correct me if you think I have any wrong ideas here. Okay. My plan is to continue on chronologically in the, in the Universal Century timeline. Okay. So my next viewing would be the Gundam Unicorn OVA series. Yes, which is basically like sort of like Mobile Suit Gundam the Origin where they are movie length OVAs. Yes. For, for and and I think they are all on Netflix. I think the movie versions are on Netflix so people can watch those um pretty easily. Very cool. So with that I was thinking of pairing there's a little tiny original net animation called Twilight Axis that's about half an hour long. Yeah. So we'll watch that with it and then um, the most recent Gundam movie called Gundam Narrative is set like basically right around the time of Unicorn, like a year later. Yeah, it's it's an adaptation of the last novel in the Unicorn Gundam okay. series. So so it is it is uh, my understanding is that the main characters of Unicorn Gundam are not in it a lot, but it is like directly attached to that story. Okay, so I thought we could do all of that for the next episode. Yes, I think maybe we might want to. I have not seen Narrative Gundam. Um, which will be fun to do that because that'll mean it's the first time we'll be the first time we can do me seeing something for the first time along with you. I suspect we probably will want to separate Unicorn Gundam and Narrative Gundam. Okay. Because Unicorn Gundam is a lot to talk about in one. I think that would be more than enough to do one episode on. Okay. And since I haven't seen Narrative Gundam, I don't want to append that there and risk not having enough to talk about with that or, or, or not having enough time to talk about that since I don't know how much there is to talk about. Well, what if we move Narrative Gundam to episode 11 of Weekly Suit Gundam, where I had just F91 written down? Do you think we could do F91 and Narrative in one episode? Mm, I Again, I think, like, I've, I like the idea of, like, giving, since they are movies, I okay. think the movies should have their whole own episodes each to themselves. I, okay, I like that. So let's do that. We'll call NT Narrative will be episode 11. F91 will be episode 12. And then the series, Mobile Suit Victory Gundam, would be episode 13, bringing our Universal Century journey of Weekly Suit Gundam to 13 episodes. Does that sound doable? I think that is the best way to go. Okay. Um, Unicorn, Unicorn Gundam is, like, directly in conversation with all the stuff we have talked about so far. Um, and I, I had been planning on rewatching it soon anyways because I really want to watch Narrative and I need to rewatch Unicorn before that. I really like Unicorn Gundam, so I'm excited to do that. And then... Yes, F91 and Victory Gundam will then bring us to the end of UC Gundam and also to the first time that Tomino kind of walked away from Gundam for a significant period before he came back in 99 for turn A Gundam. So that will be, once we hit there, I'll be curious, do you have thoughts about where you'd want to go past that now? Or is that off in the future, you're, you're not thinking about that yet? That's off in the future. If I, I think it might be time for me to take a little Gundam break after Victory Gundam and when I'm done with all the Universal Century because I might have other things mm-hmm. I need to watch. So, like, we'll see when we come to it. Um, you know, I, I definitely want to watch all of the AU Gundam stuff, but it might not be... I, will, I might slow my pace and maybe watch a different anime for a little bit because I have not watched really anything else in English or Japanese at home other than Gundam for about four months now. Yeah. 
at some point we also need to remember that in some weird way how this all started was that we were going to do a Neon Genesis Evangelion podcast when that went up on Netflix. And that made me think of like, well, I wonder if Jonathan should see Gundam before he sees Eva because of how influential it is. It's like, and then, I've, and then then we ended up doing Gundam, and Eva has been on Netflix for like five months or something at this point. Yeah, but Sean, I do want to see Gundam before I see Eva, but I want to see Gundam. I want to see all of Gundam. I'm I'm kidding, but yes. I mean, because you would. I mean, after Victory Gundam, we would be because Victory Gundam I think came out in '93. So we, if we do Victory Gundam, we'd basically be like around the point where Eva would be out like if you wanted to do that like chronologically and think about that i think that could be fun i also one of the things i want to watch is armored trooper bottoms um yep and i think we could do maybe we'll do these in weekly suit gundam is we could do a couple episodes that aren't about gundam but are about gundam adjacent things or works that are in conversation with gundam i think that could be fun as well um yeah because i could keep watching other animes and uh we could keep doing this show so but I think for now, let's just say our plan is through episode 13. So four more episodes, one on Unicorn, one on Anti-Narrative, one on F91, one on Victory Gundam. I, you have assured me that all of that stuff, except Narrative, which you haven't seen, is good. So I'm very excited. Yep. I'm very excited because like, this is all, we're all hitting Gundam that I had been planning on rewatching. Okay. Um, so I'm very excited to also be able to rewatch. Like, Victory Gundam is in many ways the one I'm most interested to rewatch because I remember really liking it and I'm... But I also remember it being very different from um, the other stuff that Tomio had done up to that point. So, yeah, yeah I'm super excited to continue this journey. I'm so happy that this is where we are. This train um, ain't stopping anytime soon. <laughs> yep. It's so it's, – it's the beautiful thing that, like, you have been so deeply affected by Gundam that, like, I think my original conception was that, like, you know, maybe we'll end up doing all of it all the way up to Char's counterattack. I don't think I ever really thought about the fact that we would end up going past that point. Um and in many ways, we already did go past that point because you've watched a bunch of the OVAs and shit already anyway. So, yeah. so this is great. Hey, we've got lots more to do. At some point, I also want to do an episode that is devoted to alternate versions of the original Gundam. So that would be like yeah. the origin manga, the Tomino novels that you're reading in Japanese right now and I have in English. So we could have a really good discussion about that. Um, I've got the Journey to Jaburo PS2 video game. My PS2 sadly is not working. So I'm going to have to figure that out. But... You know, all of those could be ripe for discussion. But for now, let's just say our next immediate horizon point is we're going to finish UC Gundam in the anime, and that'll be fun. Yep, so we'll continue our Gundam journey in the future. For now, Jonathan, I think it would be best if we just bask in the light of the heart of humanity. I belong to you. We belong to us. Harukana Sora no Moto, Kobaru Toni, Hikaru Moshiga, Arukana Shimiwa, Sokokana Hajimate, Itoshi Sagan.